0: Hello and welcome to another episode of No Particular Podcast. So, um, yeah, it's been a while since I've uploaded an episode. I know that it's been, shoot, probably three or four weeks at this point. And trust me, it's been stressing me out. I've been wanting to try and find time to get one uploaded. But um, just sometimes it's, it's been a little bit hard. I finally finished up classes for this term, and that was... That was great. It was a little bit stressful there at the end. I guess the nice part is that a lot of the courses I was taking didn't have so much of a final as like a final project that you'd mostly be working on throughout the term with usually a team. So that was stressful in the sense that you're kind of part of your final grade is resting on other people as well, which can be good and bad. Some people were a little bit more serious about it than others, but anyways, I digress. That was uh, that was the past. But with that, um, I did finish up my uh, business transfer, and I'm gonna be transferring to PSU to study marketing. So, so that's exciting. I'm excited for that. I'm not excited for the uh, cost of tuition to go up. I think the cost of the three classes that I took just at a community college is around the same as just one at the other one and I'm still at a point where I've been paying out of pocket and I'm hoping that FAFSA here can uh, help out a little bit or something um in the future but I think I'm, I'm just gonna take one class this next term and pay it out of pocket and deal with that but um don't want to slow down too much, you know. Don't want to lose momentum. Feels good to kind of get to a point of uh, kind of a just a good milestone where you're like kind of in the middle of it all. But uh, there's def- definitely still a lot, uh, still a lot in the future I got to focus on and keep working towards to finish. But uh, anyways, I hope everyone had a good Thanksgiving. I had a good Thanksgiving hanging out with. Uh, I saw some friends i saw family um ate ate a good amount of food all kinds of different foods nothing nothing too weird just a standard you know turkey and mashed potatoes and all that it was pretty fun it was a chill day same thing though it was there at the end of this classes and school term so while i'm trying to relax in the back of my mind I know that there's stuff I got to do, and that's all stressful. But anyways, I'm looking forward towards Christmas, though. I'm excited for that, just just to get to see some family and some friends and everything. It's been nice being able to spend time with friends that are also done with stuff, or they're home on leave, or whatever it is. Um, uh, Yeah, it's been nice. Things have been decent and good and great. Uh, I'm hoping for snow still, I've been kind of surprised, everyone was talking like we're going to get hit with some uh, some kind of massive snowstorm and none of that's happened, and I think a lot of people are excited about that, but uh, I always like the snow, we don't get it very often, but when it does come around, I want it to really, I want it to really hit, I don't, I want to be like, you know, you gotta have all wheel drive or four wheel drive if you want to get anywhere, you know? That's that's when snow's fun when it's just like slushy stuff out there and it's just kind of you don't even want to be outside. It's just cold like that sucks. I'll admit that sucks, but some nice fresh powder out there. That's nice. I'm um, hoping that could still happen, but forecast isn't forecast kind of saying otherwise. So um, in other news, tune in finally got back to me and said that they uploaded my podcast so to anyone that would prefer listening on the tune in app it is on there just search no particular podcast and it should pop up I just checked and it came up so um anywho yeah that's uh that's that it only took them a few months but hey I'm happy they got it done uh, I haven't really had that come up. Nobody's come up to me and said, hey, why aren't you on TuneIn? Yeah, I've n- I've never heard anyone say that about anything. Um, but I, I was told that it's one of the more uh, popular platforms that people use to listen to stuff. So anyways, if that excites you, there's that. Um, anyway, so on today's episode, I'm speaking with Jason Robinson who is a mental health counselor for for Multnomah County. Um, I was put in touch with Jason through my friend Matt. He's friends also with um, Jeremy Barlow, the comic book uh, writer that I had on uh, one of the first few episodes uh, that I uploaded. Um, but yeah, we talked about his path to getting into counseling and some of the he he works a lot with uh inmates who are in jail or who are waiting to be sent to prison and you know some of them some of them are in for you know it could be drug charges or something but some of the people that he talks to uh are awaiting like a lifelong sentence you know they're they've already been sentenced to have to go spend the rest of their life in prison and he gets to talk with them through that figuring out like how are they going to cope with that you know what do they think of it and such like that that aspect's pretty interesting uh he's he shares a lot of some stories that that he's uh he's had and his experiences in that role um and we also kind of just trailed off onto a lot of other conversations we're talking about consciousness for a while there and that was some deep conversation deep thought that's always An interesting one we kind of looked at it from the sense of what happens after you die and we kind of shared our views of it and I don't know if you ever think about that I'm sure everyone's kind of thought about it and wondered what happens when you die like what's the next the next thing you see or the next experience that you have and I don't know it was interesting talking to uh, Jason about it and getting his point of view um but everyone's got their own view of it, and yeah, we'll never really know. Um, yeah, never know. It's Everyone's entitled to their own view of it. It's an interesting topic, but um, anyhow, yeah, we cover a lot of different interesting topics, and I hope you guys enjoy them. Um, if you like this conversation, get excited, because I'm going to be having him back to talk about uh, more of his career and just try and cover some more stories and such and his experiences so I hope you guys enjoy this episode I I really enjoyed it and I'm looking forward to my next conversation with him but anyhow enjoy my conversation with Jason Robinson talk about mental kind of mental health in general, would you say? Sure. Anything you want to talk about. It's up to you. Um, (laughs) let's, I guess, start back with, uh, where'd you grow up at?
1: So Montana, I grew up in great falls, Montana. Yeah.
0: How'd you like it there?
1: Um, I liked it. I mean, there was, there was good and bad with, with all of that. I wasn't like super popular in especially high school. So that was difficult, but overall, um, my family was there. Most of my family, uh, especially on my dad's side, is there, and we all lived pretty close to each other. So um, I had a really nice family life growing up. It was yeah. super cool. Yeah.
0: How did you make the transition out to Oregon? Is that something that was a little bit later in life, or did you... Yeah, so I came out after undergrad was done. Oh, okay. Well, then let's, let's start with like school stuff. So sure. how did you make the decision to go into whatever school you ended up going to and like, were you sure like your major or were you kind of lost for a
1: while? I was, I well, So leaving high school, I had really no idea what I wanted to do. I just thought I kind of had, I felt like I had to go to college. Um, it was important to my family for people to get an education. So I really wanted to do that. And then, um, I thought that I would just do general stuff in college and kind of figure out whatever was good for me mm-hmm. and so um i took ap What was a bio and uh history in high school i did really well on both of the tests i didn't think i was going to do as well as i did on the i think it was the history one or the. Yeah, it doesn't matter one of the bio ones but um there's two main schools that are in montana it's montana state university and the university of montana i grew up a, a um grizzly fan uh mm. and but I have other members of my family, like my grandma and grandpa that went to Montana state university. So I applied for both of them. Uh, and I got into, I think I got into both, but I had already accepted Montana state university. Mm. So I went there instead, which was kind of funny because I grew up a fan of the opposite school. So yeah, I'm kind of split between those two. So, um, yeah, that's where I went to school was there for, it took me five years to finish undergrad. Um, that was an interesting time. I kind of felt like I came into my own a little bit then. Um, got some friends. Became a little bit more popular. Enjoyed school a little bit more. And then graduated in 2001. And then I came out here with a girl at the time.
0: Oh, nice. Yeah. And were you uh, were you working throughout college? Or were you just focusing on
1: like grinding through school? I worked uh, part-time at a pizza place. Oh, nice. Delivering pizza. How'd you like soon. that? I liked it a lot. I, I delivered pizza even in, um, was it in high school? No, it wasn't until I got into college, but then- in the summertime, when I would go back to Great Falls, I would deliver pizza there as well. I really loved delivering pizza. It was actually super fun because I just like listened to the radio and yeah. music and stuff like that and drove around. I really liked the freedom and the tips and yeah, it was fun. I've had a few friends
0: that deliver pizza and they seem to really, yeah, same kind of thing. They're just like, oh, it's just so chill, dude. Yeah. It's yeah. just so, you know, I do my thing and that's it. <laughs> Did you ever have to like make pizza or anything or would just like were you just delivering them?
1: Um no, mostly delivering. I, I put toppings on them sometimes. I mean, you have to do that from what I remember. Um, but no, it was primarily just the the deliveries, which is. The Did fun you ever point.
0: have any like bad interactions or anything, or was it always pretty positive?
1: Um, overall, I think it was pretty positive. Uh, there was a couple times where people were just super assholes. To oh me. yeah, like when you're super late or. You know, something like that that we get really upset or demand like free pizza or refunds or whatever. But um, overall, it really wasn't like that. Yeah, it was it was pretty easy.
0: Yeah. And was that like your first your your main job then through college and everything? Yeah. Okay. cool. Didn't really directly apply to like what you're going to school for. I always find that funny is people can be learning the most intense stuff in college and then, you know, meanwhile, they're working just like some, you, you know, just a, a job, just a normal job. Right, but right. They're learning very serious skills and all yeah. the knowledge and everything. So after you finished college, you had, what, what was your degree technically in then? So psychology. Okay,
1: psychology. Yeah. Yeah. Just, okay. Just regular psych. I got a, um, a bachelor's degree in psych. I was double majoring for a while in philosophy as well. Um, but then I forgot exactly what happened with that. I really love philosophy I don't know if we'll get into any of that stuff today but um there was something that happened with like the prereqs or something where I couldn't complete everything so I actually didn't get the the double major in that but yeah psych yeah Yeah. psychology stuff
0: is so it's really interesting like I've always thought Mm -hmm. some of my credits that I fulfilled have just been through psychology and I was like, if I ever became, you know, a doctor of any time, it would be for, like, a PhD in, like, some kind of psychology. Yeah, yeah, like it's that'd fascinating. That would be pretty interesting. Like what, the, what kind of classes did you take in it? Like, behavioral stuff like that, just, okay. sent, just like, the generic stuff. I didn't get, like, any. any like, of the, Psych
1: 101. Yeah,
0: like, that stuff. And then there was, like, some little one-off ones here and there. But yeah. I liked them. I always found them really fascinating. Yeah. And it's pretty cool how you can really break down why someone behaves it the way that they do mm-hmm. based off of, like, science, you know? Yeah, What's going yeah. on in their mind or past experiences and such yep. and how that sculpted their mind and their mentality and everything. Yeah. That's just so interesting, but...
1: Yeah, that's, that's kind of how I feel about it as well. The um, I've always been really curious about human motivation. Like, why do people do the things that they do? Yeah. And psychology helps uh, for me to understand that and hopefully help other people with their problems as well
0: yeah so when you first then came out to Oregon um, then what was it uh when you first settled here were you bring brought at all by a job or was it just like I want to just move get get over there with
1: the lady? Yeah, I wanted like, to get out of Montana, number okay. one, and not nothing against Montana. My family's there; I love it. I I, w- I could not stand the winters anymore. It oh, absolutely! Bad. Have I've you ever been there?
0: I've never been there.
1: Okay, so Montana's a great state. It's super fun, beautiful, beautiful uh, state. But the winters are godawfully hmm. horrible. I got into so many like car accidents. And oh, really? Oh, it was terrible. And I, I just like so tired of super cold and snow and ice all the time. It's the winters are really, really bad. So I just wanted out of there to anywhere that would have better weather. Yeah. And my girlfriend at the time had family out here and she told me that she was moving to Portland and asked if I wanted to come. And I immediately was like, oh yeah, let's, let's do that for sure. Had you been to Portland before? Or? Never. Oh, oh, okay. What nope. was
0: your initial thoughts when you first went to
1: Portland? Um, I was, I remember coming into Portland and just being shocked at, well, number one, the weather, like it was way nicer here um, and how big it was. I mean, now it's, you know, small town and yeah, <laughs> compared to other huge cities. But um, for me at the time, you know, coming from Montana, it was it was really big. So I was really kind of shocked at um, the differences in those things, just how huge it was or it seemed to me at the time.
0: There's a lot of little, for being the size of, of a town that it is, there's a lot of things to try and see and everything, especially food. There's oh, always yeah. new food places coming oh, yeah. up and
1: everything. Yep. But, um, Food, beer, all that kind of stuff is yeah. just so huge here. Yeah, it's great. It's, it's, a, it's really nice to have that variety. I never had that in Montana. Again. Oh, really? Not it's, like this, no.
0: Yeah yeah i don't know i never i've just never had the opportunity to try even drive through montana or anything yeah but. you should
1: try it it's fun it's beautiful beautiful there's I'd, a lot yeah, of cool things to see I was thinking
0: though. it just is the winters like they're pretty aggressive like it's like it might be beautiful but it's like it's it's brutal
1: if you're into um like skiing and you know all the winter stuff it's great i got friends there right now actually that are skiing and having a great time but um so i'd recommend that if you're yeah. if you're into those things but uh yeah, if you're just like driving, it is not a place to drive through in the winter unless you have a reason <laughs> to yeah. drive up there. I promise. Like going over those passes. Oh, really? It's brutal. Yeah.
0: They don't they don't stay
1: on the up and up with like keeping everything iced. Well, they they are pretty good actually. To be honest, they're probably better than than the Portland is. Oh at, yeah. At oh, are not. Yeah. Yeah. It's just that there's so many people here. They it's the other drivers that make it a total nightmare to drive around Portland. But uh, in Montana, it, it is true they're they're really good at like. Um, clearing the roads and um like putting de-icer or do they use de-icer i know they use um gravel all the time mm, yeah i'm not sure if they change a de-icer or not but um so that's helpful it's not like it's just totally snow packed but yeah some of the side roads i mean if you get off the interstate it's
0: oh, okay it can get pretty, pretty that makes crazy. sense i guess yeah if it's so if it's just so bad state you know overall like in general then it's like you just got to hit the main roads and wish everyone luck exactly, on the small yeah. side roads and yep. everything. Okay, cool. So how did you then end up finding your way into the career that you are now?
1: So... Oh, jeez. I, I don't know if you want me to go through the whole... Go for it, or man. Not, but so when I was out here, um, the first job... Was the first job I got? I think it was. I worked as a residential counselor at a um, like a youth facility yeah. um, for adolescent, adolescent youth... Um, I've been looking at my resume I should remember this better uh, and I was there for several years that was a totally fascinating job I'd never I grew up an only child so I didn't have a ton of exposure I mean like my cousins and stuff I was close to them but um, I didn't grow up around a bunch of other kids all the time and these uh, kids had some pretty severe like mental health substance abuse issues mm-hmm. so it was a really eye-opening and interesting to see the stuff that I experienced there and then, so I was there for like three or four years. I It was driving me insane after a while. It wasn't well run. It was eventually shut down by the state, actually. Not because of me, oh. way, but uh, because of other things that were happening at the time. Um, and I realized, like, I can't do this forever. So I got I to gotta switch to something else. So um, I started applying to graduate schools and got into George Fox. And that's where wow. I got my graduate degree from. How'd you like George Fox? I liked it. I was um, kind of pleasantly surprised. Well, there there were some negatives as well, but I was overall pleasantly surprised uh, by the experience. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know how in depth you want me to get here. So, I I was really curious going to a what's known as a private Christian school because I'm not Christian. Yeah, at all. I'm like an atheist, basically, or agnostic, depending on how you want to ask the question. Again, that's the philosophy stuff that <laughs> okay. we can get into if you want to or not. But um, so I was concerned that that I was going to have like religion shoved down my throat when I was oh, there. Yeah. And I had completely the opposite experience there. It seemed like uh, the teachers were really open and engaging about that. And although there was like a spirituality core of classes that we had to take and. Uh, certain things that we had to do. I actually generally really liked those. Like one of the classes we had to um, talk with various uh, clergy members throughout like the Portland metro area. Anybody like, um, man, who did I talk to? I talked to like an imam. I talked to a Jewish rabbi. I talked to um, an Eastern Orthodox Christian Christian. whatever their clergy members are called. And those were really fascinating discussions that I had with those people about their faith and, and um, kind of the basis of why they believe what they believe. So that was really, really interesting for me. Um, and then, so, so overall, I would say that that experience was good. I had some downsides in that <laughs> at the end, you basically, it's not really a thesis. I forgot what the exact name of it, was like practicum or something like that. Um, you have to write a big paper up at the end, and i I don't think I misunderstood what the directions were, but I think that the staff members did. And so I created I took kind of an amalgam of a bunch of different um, theoretical orientations for psychology and created kind of my own system of thought as to why people do the things that they do, and you know my my thoughts on motivation and all that and um, wrote my paper up based on that, and then they rejected it because they said that I came up with it on my own. They, um, Some of my teachers were basically like insulting or laughing at me as a result of it, which it wasn't, Jeez. it was pretty good actually, yeah. <laughs> to be honest, especially because I put a, a really lot of time and effort in that. So um, I had to go back. They gave me an assignment that I think that they thought was impossible basically they rejected it and they gave me over I think it was over Christmas break they said you have to rewrite your entire thesis basically and um, I'm the kind of person that if I get in a bind like that where I feel like I'm being attacked by people I will become super resilient and so I was like okay I'm gonna absolutely do this so I wrote Nonstop for basically like two weeks straight, I think, oh um, and I completed a whole new master's thesis during that time Jeez. and turned it in, and then they, they accepted it at that point. So I finally did get my my degree. But um, and
0: that's something. Isn't that usually take place over the course of like a year or so? Yeah,
1: it was. I can't remember exactly how long it took to do everything because there's multiple components to it. Like you have to you have to talk with clients, you have to um, record those interviews. There's like transcripts that you have to make that then you include like your theoretical orientation in the interventions that you have with those clients. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's the like the philosophical or theoretical framework paper that you create at the end that, you know, explains everything that you're doing and why you're doing it. Um, So there's a lot of work.
0: My gosh, yeah. (laughs) That'd be so frustrating too for them to just drop that on you like, hey, while you're away, Get that done, yeah. There again, it, it
1: was super. The thing that upset me, um, and I love college like, if I could go to college forever, I would do it to mm-hmm. be honest with you. I just get like doctorate degrees over and over again because <laughs> I really like the process. But, um, I think that uh, those institutions have a capacity to get really entrenched in their thought process, and so for me to say, like, oh, I want to create something. Um, kind of brand new to myself and what my experience is like the things that I've um, that I'm really curious about and interested in and again like kind of creating this amalgam of all these different things um, they just roundly rejected that they didn't want to um, even address that I was capable of of generating something like that that Mm -hmm. was like unique in that way
0: because it was kind of your own, right? That you were, like, yes. basically they saw it as, like, well, you basically made your own thing here. Yes, which is exactly, yeah.
1: And it didn't explicitly state that you couldn't on the the explanation, like the, well, I forgot what the name of it is, the sheet of paper that explains, like, all the guidelines what you're supposed to follow through on. Yeah. So um, I thought that I was completely following through with what their expectations were, and that was not the case. Yeah.
0: And so. is there a similar process to the same... Um, program at george fox today like is that kind of the same what anyone would kind of go through i right?
1: don't know how different it is today so I graduated in 2006 with my graduate degree so I mean that was 13 years ago i'm assuming things have changed I haven't talked to too many people that have come from there since that time um, so i'm not sure what the program looks mm-hmm. like today yeah
0: but is that is that a be like what is there anything
1: in particular that george fox like specializes in or is it all kinds of different graduate programs. So they have they have a master's degree program for counseling, which is what I went to. And that was, I don't know if it's changed now, but it was based out of the Tigard campus at the time. Because I didn't want to drive all the way to Newburgh. That's way out there. Uh, and then they have the doctorate program that's at Newburgh. Oh. Um, and even kind of recently, I've been working with some graduate students out at in they're in that program, so I actually know a little bit more about what that looks like now as opposed to my old program, what yeah. that looks like now. So, cool.
0: What was the next step after after you completed that?
1: And were done. At finding Fox? a job.
0: Oh, just finding a job. <laughs> trying, trying to get work. So, I wasn't sure if they set you up to kind of be a kind of like interning, I guess, kind of, or was it like you just done
1: and then. Could, yeah, could so um, part of my. Again, I can't remember. I think it's like. a. It, the equivalent of a practicum uh, was that you had to be, um, it was a clinical program. So I got hooked up with uh, the wellness project, which I don't even know if that exists anymore. Certainly not in its same iteration that it was when I when I worked there. But um, that was in, man, 2000, maybe five to six, somewhere in there. Because I think it was close to when I graduated. And so I was a student therapist there for, it was at least months. I don't know how long for sure that I was there for, but um, that was really interesting. So that was my first. uh, So something interesting about therapy is this, like, I mean, everybody talks to people all the time and has good interactions with them, but uh, therapy is bizarre because you start learning like theoretical orientations and techniques and stuff like that. And then you can do that for years before you ever actually see a client. So it's really bizarre in the sense that it's this job where you are learning how to do it and you can't do it at all for a really long period of time. So it's, it's really strange in that way. So before I even sat down with my first client, I didn't even know as to whether I wanted to pursue this as a field or not um, because I didn't have really any experience than just talking to people normally but that's not the same thing as like a therapeutic interaction so I I was really curious going into being a student therapist as to is this something that I really want to do or like am I gonna like this am I gonna hate this What what is this process gonna be like for me mm-hmm. um, so it was really eye-opening to sit down with people and start chatting with them and, and see kind of how that therapeutic process developed
0: did you imedi- immediately appreciate it or were you kind of nervous to be doing it I was like, nervous yeah. I was
1: definitely nervous um, I can't remember for sure my first client, but I remember being being nervous and being in there. But um, I feel like I adapted relatively quickly. There, there's this thing in psychology that people talk about. I don't know if it, it probably exists in other fields, too, but um, they call it the imposter syndrome.
0: Oh, I've heard of that. Yeah.
1: Yeah. yeah. So that that's where um, someone will be engaging in the process of therapy, like a therapist, but they will feel like they are faking it or that they don't belong there yeah. in that process. Like I'm not a real therapist or mm. I, I'm just um, – I don't Um, experience that so much. And I think that I – how do I explain it? I think that I've kind of established heuristics and ways of thinking that help me to deal with that. So I fall back on um, just focusing on the – Establishing a positive relationship with the client that I'm dealing with Mm -hmm. and usually that's the thing that helps um, I mean from most of the research uh, that's been done in psych the the thing that helps more than anything typically is the relationship that you have with your client so Mm -hmm. if you can't think of anything else to do fall back on establishing a positive relationship with them Uh, and you're probably going to be okay
0: and so is that something that you were working through like did you recognize like I have some kind of like imposter syndrome that's going on or 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 were you just like, I just need to figure out how to make a connection with my client. Like, right away, I can't think about my struggles or my insecurities about yeah. my role. Like, I, I just need to know I am qualified to do this. Like, I yeah. know what I'm talking about.
1: Yeah, I, I think it's just, it's like studying for something for months and months or years and years and not being able to do it. And then finally, like, you're there in that moment doing it. Yeah. And oh my God, like everything goes out the window. You're just yeah. like a blank slate. You can't remember what the hell you're doing and why you're doing it. And so um, I mean, I, I wish I could remember it a little bit better, like what, what my first experience was. I remember being nervous. Yeah. Um, and I think that it's really common for people that start to really want to do well, really want to do well. Um, some of the studies that they've done in psych, which is pretty funny and entertaining, where they'll they'll take like a graduate students right like that are just starting in the field, like like I was at the time, and they'll compare them to people that are like say doctorate level and have been doing it for years and years and years, and they compare the client outcomes between those two groups, and um, there's virtually no difference. So mm-hmm. clients that go to the master's degree clinicians versus like the doctorate level clinicians um the clients usually will say like either um it's about the same like both of them help me about equally or they'll say uh, the master's degree level people help me actually more and they believe that the the reason that that is is because they're so they want so much to help the person yeah that they'll go out of their way to try and trying to establish like a really good relationship and um, mm. they're like super attuned to the conversation that they're having more so than um, maybe somebody that's like burned out or been working in the field for years and oh
0: years. Yeah. yeah I guess cuz how much longer in school would somebody have been between when they finished their masters to finishing doctorate Like it, how, how many more years is it so
1: I think it depends on exactly what you're going into um, People that are getting their doctorate degrees, they get their masters in the process of doing that. Oh, okay. Yeah, so it's just more schooling. I I, and I don't know exactly how long it is. At least several years. Yeah, it's at least like two more years. Enough to burn you out, I guess. It could. It (laughs) could, yeah. Yeah.
0: Which is a shame. It would suck to get to the end of like such a long road and just be like, God, I'm just tired of this now, you know. But I'm sure there's plenty that just you know fall in love with it more and more as they go mm-hmm. and feel you know pretty proficient what they're studying and such but that makes sense it's interesting that they find that somebody that's just you know got to the master's level can be just as proficient mm-hmm. as somebody that's got the doctorate yeah yeah
1: yeah it's it's really interesting how it works i mean i i guess it shows that um you know therapeutic techniques uh definitely hold importance in dealing with clientele. But again, more than anything else, what really matters is it's, it's relationships. Relationships yeah. are what heal people. They're usually the reason that one of the main reasons, not all, always, but one of the main reasons that people even have psychological issues to begin with is because they have dysfunctional relationships with other human beings, or they don't have relationships, good relationships with other human beings. So by providing that to someone, usually that is just a healing process in and of itself.
0: How do you evaluate when somebody comes in for the first time, and you have you know minimal knowledge on their background and everything, and interaction with them? How do you establish the way in which to approach building a relationship with them? Do you just ask them about their past experiences and in, in life and everything, or like how do you go about? Yeah, your so, well,
1: I mean, it kind of depends on the way that you're. It depends on like where you're working. Uh, Usually there's some type of intake process. It's not usually, I mean, unless you're working, like I worked at one point at a crisis call center. So that's totally random. Like you have absolutely no idea who's gonna call you. It could be somebody that's totally suicidal or somebody that's psychotic or somebody that just wants to talk to somebody else. I mean, you have absolutely no idea what's going on. Um, But that's also really interesting because it trains you to be responsive to kind of chaotic situations, right? Um, all the way to, I've worked in places where there's like really highly structured intake processes. So that you kind of have an idea as to who you're talking to and why you're talking to them. Um, and yeah, again, I just kind of always try and fall back on no matter how much I know about somebody or not, how can I establish a relationship with that yeah, person?
0: That makes sense. Yeah. That's uh, I took an interview and interrogation course, just just to fulfill a credit. Oh, that'd be interesting. It was actually one of my favorite courses I took. It was very interesting to take it With and the guy that taught it was a detective for Portland Mm -hmm. and you know, he was very well, he was really knowledgeable on the subject. But, um, I mean, it all kind of comes back to building rapport with that person that you're speaking with and just, yeah establishing a relationship with them
1: yeah there's a lot of psychology involved in interrogation i always thought that it'd be really interesting and i don't know a ton about it but like the people that interview like the terrorism suspects at gitmo and stuff like that that, that's fascinating it's totally fascinating there's
0: a there's yeah you'd probably really appreciate there's a lot of psychology that goes into it and uh there's a lot of tactics that they Uh need to consider when approaching any kind of individual with you know with, yeah, minimal knowledge on their background. Like, how are they going to take this if I approach them this way versus that way, you right, know? Right, But it's interesting. Anyone out there that would want to, you know, really delve into criminal psychology and everything, mm. they'd probably love a field like that. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, It's and exciting. That's
1: one of the reasons that I really liked um, that work in forensic psych is that it's so – I mean, the stories are just totally – amazing it's fascinating like the, the the population that you're dealing with and the things that they've done the life experiences that they've had the motivations that they have for the things that they've done is just totally mind-boggling like what yeah. people have been through so yeah
0: i can imagine because it's kind of like you're dealing with people that have really they've kind of had a peak of like their their stress and how it's then you know they're taking actions that are putting them in a place to where they have to start dealing with people that like, you know, they're on a criminal level, you know? It's mm-hmm. not just somebody that's like, ah, you know, I got fired, my wife divorced me. You mm-hmm. know, it's like they've been through so much that they are just, like, erupting and making bad decisions that are putting them in bad places, you know? Yep. Yep. I can imagine. hear some interesting stories. Oh,
1: yeah. To- totally, totally amazing. And people are at um, just completely different places in their lives when they're incarcerated, typically. It's, you know, it's really interesting because they the population is very different than I thought that it would going into the job. So my, I don't know how much you want me to talk about like my history of where I started or whatever, but yeah, for sure. I started in forensics. I guess you kind of asked me this, but I, <laughs> sorry, roundabout way to get to this. So um, how I got into forensics is that I was working, like I said, at the wellness project at the time, which was with, um, uh, it was like low and no cost therapy uh, to the community and one of my supervisors at the time she knew that i was looking for a job once i got done with grad school i was working as well in um a child and adolescent psychiatric inpatient unit at one of the hospitals and i don't like working with kids i don't ever really want to work with kids again oh. um I, you know, thank God that there's people out there that want to do that and that that's a population that they want to work with. It's certainly necessary work. It is not anything I ever, ever want to do again for the rest of my life.
0: What drove you away from wanting to do it?
1: Um, Children are so exceedingly violent. Oh. Unbelievably violent. Like way more so than the adults that wow. I have come into contact with. I mean, I've literally sat in rooms talking to... 15 to 20 felon like murderers and I've never felt threatened the way that I have working with children in the past. I mean, I just, some of the things that I've seen, like just completely, completely amazing. Um, so kids are chaotic and they're violent and they're, um, much more irrational. I mean, which makes sense, right? I mean, as far as their like human development goes, they're just, they're at a different level than somebody that's an adult. Um, But it's to the point that I just don't – there's a lot of liability with kids. There's a lot of liability with adults too, but especially with children. So I I don't want anything to do with that anymore.
0: That that reminds me of this video that I just saw yesterday of this – it's it's being taken by who I assume is this kid's older brother. And his little brother is standing in front of him crying and with a knife. And he is like, you're going to stab me? over pizza. He's like, you didn't share any with me. You didn't share any of your pizza. You're like you're going to stab me. Like, why are you getting so invested in this? Yeah. I didn't share. And it's true though. You're right. They're oh, rational. Yeah. And they're like, I don't know. They can take things to a whole nother level. Yeah. Oh
1: yeah. I've seen, I, I mean, I could tell you some of the crazy stuff that I've seen with kids in the past. Like oh, I've it, seen, man. Oh man. When I worked in the hospital, I've seen kids like break, the mirror in their room and have shards of the mirror in both of their hands, like cutting themselves, but using them as blades, like weapons um, to the point where they had to get uh, the basically like a SWAT team that works in the hospital in order wow. to help control people that are uh, you know mentally freaking out. And going in and like with like a shield and everything in order to in c- to control the kid, I've seen kids like cutting on themselves and covered in their own blood, like head to toe covered in their own blood. Um, I've seen kids, th- yeah, threatening people with knives before, all kinds of st- oh my stuff like that. Yeah, I mean it's it's a traumatic, uh, super traumatic job, How and it's you- really good. I mean, I, I I think that most people in my field. I think basically everyone would benefit from somebody coming into my field working in a job like residential care for example for like 6 months to a year mm-hmm. and never ever doing it again just because you get a wealth of experience and understanding from something like that that you can't really any other way. Yeah. It's just such a like a a, a crucible of like understanding human existence. It's incredible.
0: I can't say that I've ever done anything like that, but I was for probably about six months or so, maybe a little bit more than that. I was uh, a dietary aide at a uh, assisted living, like, you okay. know elderly and everything and even that was pretty eye opening mm-hmm, to sure, people yeah. that are you know struggling with the brink of dementia
1: and yep. such like geriatrics can be hard too yeah yeah and
0: i don't know it's pretty sad it's it's hard to watch or even i don't know that was that was a pretty sad job because it was weird to see people on a regular basis and then next day they're just gone yeah, yeah. i had that with some people that was like you know i served them all the you know three times a day sometimes yeah. and got to where i loved a few of them and then you just show up and oh they passed away yesterday evening or early this morning it's like wow
1: that's crazy did you ever get to talk to them about like what that process of being at the end of their life was like
0: yeah a lot of them were pretty accepting of it a lot of them especially if uh if they had already lost their loved one or Mm. something like that they're like you know i'm just kind of trying to is enjoy my life as much as possible, but I'm ready to see the end, you know, or I think one of the, one of the saddest ones was there was one resident there who his, his wife was over in memory care and Mm -hmm. he only ever got to visit her, you know, so often because he was over in just, you know, regular standard assisted care. And it got to the point where his, his memory was going so much that he got to finally be moved over to memory care with her. Oh, and okay. he was so excited because he knew they got reunited. Yeah. They, he got to see her on a regular basis. Cause every day, like it was like, it was his, like his ritual was he would save a banana from breakfast <laughs> to take to her. <laughs> on when he got to visit her the one time in a day yeah, yeah, and it was sad, but I mean, he was so excited even though he was, his mind was deteriorating. Right. It was so that he could be, you know, reunited with his wife. That's cool. That's so it's really cool. touching. Yeah, I don't know. It's interesting. And yeah, you're right. People would probably benefit from being in some form of a job at any any kind of those places, you know? Even if it wasn't in a place like yours, you know, if it was something
1: minorly involved. But it's just – it's really interesting for – there's a lot that people don't know about mental illness or the way that mental illness – impacts people or i mean we see it every day with like the the homeless population people don't see really understand in depth um how all these things impact people and to what degree and so um especially for somebody in psych it's really good to get that kind of exposure i mean i guess you will over a lifetime of experience but yeah um, it's something good to try out
0: as far as people kind of just before i forget as far as like people kind of Like trying to gain an appreciation or understanding of you know mental illness and everything, I was curious to know what you did. You see the new Joker movie?
1: No, I haven't seen it yet. I really want to though.
0: Yeah, I'm curious what you'll end up thinking with uh, Joaquin Phoenix. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's pretty good. It's pretty heavy. It's pretty.
1: Is he like an incel or what's the deal with that?
0: Yeah, he's. uh, It's it's a lot. I don't know. It's way different take of the Joker than previously done but it's yeah
1: it's Is a lot different than um uh, who's the guy that od'd um oh. the, the dark knight one is a lot different than that kind of joke
0: yeah because this is a lot more focused on like his background and why he fell into mm. that role and like what kind of yeah his his own mental struggles that made him start to tumble towards that I that see. lifestyle it's a lot more build up towards that and it's very heavy. It's really intense, but it's a great movie. A lot of people hated on it just because they thought it was so, I don't know, it hit mental illness a little bit too hard and everything like mm. that. But I thought it was...
1: Well, it sounds not like your stereotypical superhero movie yeah, at all. It's not. It's not. It's yeah. a lot deeper. So I'll, I'll probably like... It. Yeah. No, yeah. It's,
0: it's pretty deep and it's pretty emotional, but it's a good movie. Yeah, I that sounds it sounds really lot, interesting. So I definitely when, want to once you it. watch it, you should hit me up and let me know what you think. Yeah, of yeah. That. We could do a podcast. On yeah, it, for sure. <laughs> Um, no,
1: on the on the first um, – I used to teach groups to the inmates all the time. I loved it so much. It was one of my favorite things that I ever did. And um, I used to do – there was this portion that I used to call Movies That Matter where I would find – because I really like movies and TV shows and stuff too. And um, if I'd ever come across something that I thought would really appeal to the inmates, I would usually bring it in so we could watch it and then talk about like the – you know, psychological or philosophical implications of that. And I did that with a dark Knight with them. It was super, super fun. So, um, I forgot what the exact title was, but we talked about, um, like the Joker and anarchy, um, you know, just talking about those elements and how that was like, how he's like the embodiment of anarchy, the idea of that philosophically, it was really, really fun. So. Is there any other kind of like movies or TV
0: shows or something that you'd say are really impactful for a group like that?
1: Um, it, yeah, I mean, I, Jeez. I showed them a ton of stuff that they usually really liked. I showed them everything from like TED Talks to, yeah. um, lots of TED Talks to, um, oh, Black Mirror, like the Black Mirror episodes. Oh yeah, some of those are heavy. Several were really, really good, um, that sparked just tons of interesting conversation. Have you ever – do you watch that show? Do you know? Yeah, it?
0: I'm all – yeah, I watched them all so far. So do
1: you know the the White Bear episode? I think it's in season one, if I remember correctly. Yeah. The chick that um, – she wakes up and she has amnesia. Mm-hmm. And then it, as the story develops, um, you kind of find out that she was involved in criminal activity and that this yep. is like a punishment for her. So I showed that to um, the females at the jail when I worked there. And the responses were really interesting because I would ask questions like, well, what do you think – you know, you as criminals, right, how do you think that this would have gone? Like what, what do you think the implications of this are? Would you want this – do you think that this is right or just for this to happen to this person? And um, the majority of them were saying like, oh, I think it should be – we should, that should be something that should happen. And Whoa. if not, it should be worse. Like a whole bunch really? of the women were saying that. Yeah, it was really, really interesting. Wow. Um, so that- – it, it sparks all these – doing that kind of thing sparks all these discussions where um, you get kind of counterintuitive um, responses from the clients. Um, and it's just it, – all those kind of things really open my eyes. And it, it's a really cool way to um, spark conversation with – I just – I love the idea of using like popular things – in order to spark like a a deeper debate or discussion about um, relevant topics. And that's what I really like to do when I was doing groups with the clients. I thought that was so fun.
0: Yeah, that's really interesting. That that episode is intense. Mm -hmm. It is like, I don't know. I mean, I see it as like that's kind of cruel, but I guess, I don't know. It's interesting to hear that they were like,
1: yeah, no, that's – that's just – It was almost all of them that really? said that. Yeah, it was really incredible. Did, I, I was blown away when they said that. Did they – were they able to explain why? Like did, So like, they, they had a variety of explanations, but I think one of the main ones is um, – and th- this does make sense if you understand, like, kind of the the hierarchy of um, people that are incarcerated. And I don't know how much – you do you have exposure to, like, jails or prisons or anything like that? Um,
0: yeah, I've, I've walked through the jail a little bit and everything, but not okay. too much. I haven't – yeah, I haven't dealt with it a whole lot.
1: Okay, so the, there's a hierarchical system that the inmates have themselves. So there's people that are at the bottom of the hierarchy and people that are at the top of the hierarchy. Um, and it's a little bit different for men and women, but relatively similar in other ways. So for women especially, the bottom of the hierarchy is people that harm children. And that could be in a variety of ways. It could be like sexual abuse or whatever. But certainly somebody that would like kill a kid is going to be definitely bottom of the barrel. Um, for men, it's like sex offenders. Um, stuff like that is, is definitely at the, at the bottom. And then um, people that are like more – I don't know how they would refer to it as like a, like a good criminal. So somebody uh, like for the males, especially somebody that was like a cop killer would be at the top of the mm-hmm. hierarchy for females. It'd be um, somebody that was involved in uh, criminal activity, like distribution, drug use, all that kind of stuff. Um, they, they would refer to it often as like a ride or die bitch. Okay. Somebody that is like <laughs> with their partner, to the end kind of thing.
0: Like that's how they would describe like she's yeah, a, that. Yeah, that's a common she's, term. She's a ride use. or die bitch. Yeah, exactly.
1: All the time they would say that. I'm a ride or die bitch. <laughs> oh, okay. That's, that's pretty common. Um, <laughs> so I, th- I think that th- getting back to that that episode, I think that that was one of the reasons that they really um, were in support of that person, the, the woman in the show being punished the way that she was because mm-hmm. she would be at the bottom of the hierarchy because she was involved with a kid I think getting murdered right if oh, I remember yeah. correctly mm-hmm. so they were saying like oh yeah she should totally oh
0: shit the, well, then this. that makes sense yeah if that's how they view it like that kind of hierarchical level it makes sense that they would be like yeah she deserves that right
1: right but then I would turn I think I turned it back on them and said like well what so with your given you know, what you are in here for, not let's take her out of the equation. Let's say that they wanted to do that to you. Mm. How would you respond to that? And then that sparked further discussion from there.
0: Wow. But it's
1: all, I mean, I I just used it as an opportunity to try and make them think. I, this is one of the huge failings, I think, of uh, kind of our public school system and then um, just people in general is we don't have really good, like, critical thinking skills. I don't think that's taught really well. And so I tried to with a with a bent on psychology and philosophy and all that stuff because that was the reason that I was there and substance abuse issues and everything. I really wanted them. I would tell this to the clients all the time in the jail and the prison, like more than anything, I just want you to think more deeply about the things that you were doing. I want you to contemplate like, why am I doing what I'm doing? What is the likelihood of um, the outcomes for the decisions that I'm making for myself right now? Mm-hmm. And the more that you do that, the more likely you are to probably have a positive life path. Yeah, Um, But those critical thinking skills are really kind of essential, I think, in living a good life.
0: I think that's why I usually like psychology courses so much because, I don't know, a lot of other courses are really like, here's the material, learn it, do this homework, whatever. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like a lot of psychology courses were like, consider this, really think through it, maybe apply these concepts when considering it, yeah, and then let me know what you think about that. Yeah. And so it's a lot more just kind of gets you thinking. It explores
1: everything. kind of, yeah, the nuances, the black and white, the, or not so much the black and white, the gray areas of like human existence, um, which is really interesting. And that, yeah, it's, it's very different than a hard science like yeah. physics or even though I guess there's a lot of gray in that when you think of like quantum physics and stuff. But you know what I'm saying? I mean, it's not it's not like geology or whatever, or a, yeah. a lot of things in medicine where it either is or it isn't it's not this like binary option stuff and yeah yeah things are on a gradient scale and psychology helps to understand kind of those nuances of human interaction and and motivation well and
0: it's just so mysterious like there's just so i don't know there's so much mystery to the human mind and especially like the do you ever think about the whole idea of what happens to our consciousness after we die
1: Oh, yeah. yeah oh, yeah. man.
0: I can get lost thinking about yeah. that. It scares me sometimes. I'm just like... Yeah, what are, what
1: are your thoughts on that? Are you religious or...
0: I am. Yeah. I, like, I I personally, like, I... I don't know if you it's, want it's, to talk about that. Sorry. No, yeah, it's Taking cool. over your podcast. Now. No, it's all good. <laughs> um. Yeah, it's kind of interesting because I was not raised in a family where my mom... She never pressed God or Jesus or anything on us, but I always... I don't know, for whatever reason, I always had a belief in God myself. Mm. And I remember, like, I remember asking one of my family members one time, like, so do you believe in God? And he said, no, I don't. And I, I just was like, I couldn't believe it for whatever reason. Mm. And, I, and thinking back, it's kind of interesting because I don't know where I got that. I don't know where I developed this value of, like, I believe in God. Yeah. But sure. I did. And um, I don't know. It's So I guess it's scary – because although you know I've accepted Jesus as my lord and savior it's mm. like I'm still afraid to die like I think that for people to just write off like oh I know what's going to happen after I die it's just, it's still like I don't know it still scares me the idea so of it like what do, if, do you have an idea
1: what you think is going to happen or You're
0: I don't not... I really don't I I mean I'd like to think that yeah I'll you know be reunited with other people that I know have passed away. Like your loved one. Yeah. Yeah. But at the same time, it's like, but what if I'm wrong? You know, what if, what if that's not the case? Like, what if, what if I live this life again? Or like, what if I, you know, like, what, you know, I I don't know. I'm just, I'm unsure. And I'm skeptical about like what, what could happen? Because there's just so much uncertainty and, everything and i think it's freaky that we don't have an explanation of like what happens after we die Not,
1: no not a not a really good one every I mean, once
0: the, in a while you see some article that pops up on facebook you know like s- scientists finally figured it and it's just like <laughs> it's some bullshit but you know it's, i don't know but yeah i don't know it's it's kind of scary that like something that everyone has to
1: face is one thing that we we just don't know so yeah, I mean, I, yeah, I don't know how much you want to get into this, but... Um, hey, the, get heavy. I don't mind, So here's the thing that I don't get about... I don't understand why other people don't understand this about consciousness. Maybe, maybe we could talk about this. Okay, so I think it's really simple for me to understand. I don't get why other people don't get this. I keep saying the same thing over just because I'm trying to understand it in my own head. <laughs> but basically, it's this. So take, for example... Consciousness like fluctuates in us. Right. Like yeah. th- that's super, super obvious. Like if you stay up late enough, you're going to get super tired. Right. Or yeah. if I wake you up after three hours of sleep, you're probably going to be super, super tired. Right. So your consciousness is impacted by that mm-hmm. pretty significantly. Right. Yeah. I mean, that, that That's just like a lack of sleep. Or if you like we're drinking beer right now if I drank too much beer, my consciousness would be altered. Or if I smoke some weed or cocaine or whatever it is, it's going to alter my consciousness, right? Or did, you know, ayahuasca or some, some crazy shit like that. Um, so those are really simple explanations of how profoundly our consciousness can get altered. Right. And what I don't understand is how people can't First of all, don't understand that consciousness is physiologically based. Mm-hmm. Like it's so obvious that if you <laughs> deprive someone of um, sleep or give them a drug or something that you can dramatically alter their levels of consciousness. Yeah. Um, that should be pretty obvious proof to people that your consciousness is just so simple to manipulate. Or meditation, even. like basically anything that you do can alter your consciousness to one degree or another. And so knowing that and then thinking in terms of the brain actually like shutting down at the end of somebody's life in their in their death or whatever, like I don't understand how people could conceive of consciousness existing outside of the context of physiological, explanation I, I just i really don't get it I, I don't understand how people like struggle with that i th- and i don't yeah i i i'm not trying to be insulting or anything at all i'm just i'm really trying to understand it but i i think a lot of it again is like this psychology of fear of oh my god my existence is going to be like terminated at some point yeah. point. and what the hell does that look like um am, am i gonna know am i not gonna know like what you know, I think in, in terms of like uh infinity, like can so either way you're kinda screwed, right? So let's say that you die and you have this like infinite existence. Like mm-hmm. can you really consider that? Can you contemplate? Like what what would infinite existence with your with your loved ones be like? Like I don't I don't even know that yeah. doesn't even really make any sense. Like the human mind can't even comprehend that. Yeah. Or then you think about like well I'm dead and then I don't exist For forever after that, that doesn't make any sense either. So it's just this this bizarre combination of these things where, I don't know, man, it's just, it's totally, it's totally mind boggling. But I I think a lot of it is just me as like an atheist and somebody that's into psych. I think a lot of religion and stuff like that helps people to deal with kind of this grief or not understanding of what the hell is going to happen to me? Like what, what is this thing that this consciousness that I'm experiencing and how can I put this into context for myself and the people that I care about and that I love? Yeah.
0: Uh, yeah. All of that is really, um, yeah, it's, it's just so much to consider. And I think it's hard for a lot of people to consider the thought that like, I've, I've lived, you know, when I'm awake, I have, you know, a complex mind that gets me through my day mm-hmm. and it's just weird to comprehend like one day a day is going to come when I, I'm not living anymore Right. and this mind isn't going to be active like, right. again. Right. And I think that's hard for people to imagine is like that. I just, it just stops and it just, it's never to be again.
1: Yeah. Like how, how can you possibly, yeah, I, I think it's the one question that humans have that can absolutely never be answered. Like you, yeah. c- you cannot. It's like uh, what is that? Dividing something by zero is just like it's not a function. Like you can't, you can't yeah. do it. It's like that. Thinking about death is like that. It's like there's, there's literally no answer to any of this. There, there, there's no, there's no like comprehensive or understandable answer to it. It just is like this default. Like okay, well there's, there's nothing here. Like we can't, we can't explain this. You can't compare consciousness to non-consciousness. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't think it's even. Possible to be done, and that's the
0: thing is, I don't know. I I find it kind of here, like kind of frustrating when somebody tries to, from a religious perspective, explain what happens after we die because it's like you don't know. Like, Mm. there's speculation and everything like that, and we have our greatest hopes. But same same thing, especially when people are like, well, those that didn't accept Jesus into their heart are gonna be you know, judge for that yeah, and they will be, you know, sent to hell. And it's like, okay, but I don't know. I also have issue with that. Cause it's like, how, well, what, what, what about people that have
1: never? So, I mean, m- most people have had some exposure to religion or whatever, but I, I used to talk with, when I talked to them, I, I have many family members that are, that are deeply religious. yeah. And um, one of the questions I would always have is like, well, before people like knew about Jesus, Just, you know, say it's in like Mesoamerica or whatever, they've they've never even, yeah, they've never heard of Jesus before. Like, you're telling me that those people are going to hell because they didn't convert to something that they didn't even know existed? Like, how do you possibly explain that?
0: That's what I'm I'm saying. Like, that's what I I figure is this, like, and when I bring that up, because I brought that up too, I'm like, what about like, there's like Aboriginal tribes, they. They can't even, like, they don't even share the same language as the next tribe over. Right, right. How do, how are they going to receive, like, even if you went to them with a Bible and presented that to them, they're not going to be able to interpret it. Right. Like, how how are they going to learn about Jesus' love? And, you know, how are they going to accept him into their heart? And, you know, and I, I get kind of mixed responses all the time. Well, everyone has some kind of understanding or some kind of appreciation for a God or a higher being. And as long as yeah, but that's not the that. same thing as being Christian though, and that's right? what I'm saying. It's not I'm the like, same thing. okay, but like, even if that's the case for them, they weren't accepting Jesus. It wasn't like Jesus that they knew that Jesus yeah. died for their sins. Right. And it isn't, I
1: mean, unless you're Mormon and he's in the, the US <clears throat> yeah. talking to you or whatever. <laughs> yeah.
0: And it's like, <laughs> and so... I couldn't help that one, sir. No, no, it's all good. <laughs> but, but yeah, so stuff like that. I'm like, even if that's the case i would like to think you know i don't know the even then though like the if people are like well if they believe in god and it's like well even demons believed in god and they shuddered at the sound of his name but i don't know there's just so much like you can go back and forth on it all day long and i would love to you know pin the most knowledgeable you know christian or anyone in that facet Mm -hmm. against the strongest you know atheists in in that territory and just put them in a room and just see how that unfolds it'd be interesting to see how the (laughs) conversation goes but it really is like there's not an answer and i think it's just one of those things that every once in a while when you're driving down a road or you're sitting on the couch and just finish an episode of game of thrones or something it'll (laughs) pop up in your mind like what's gonna happen when i die Mm, you know and
1: you're never gonna have an answer no not a good one probably no so there's a thing i've been thinking of recently that's been kind of mind-boggling to me which is um so you know taking everything that we said into the context of like uh human consciousness how how easily it changes that that's true even for like our day-to-day existence right so i mean it's hard to even say like there's continuity in our lives right like i'm the same person i was basically when i was six years old or whatever but i'm vastly different vastly different like if i met six-year-old me six-year-old me wouldn't understand or get me now and i would not really get or understand the six-year-old me now um and if you think in terms of uh this is totally mind-boggling to me that i've been contemplating recently but the, the question of when did you begin right so think of what i mean when i say that not not like when you were created but like Think of the beginning of who you are as a human being. Oh, and man. you can't really do that, right? Because yeah. what you'll do, because what I do is I think of, um, I remember my first memory, right? You think of your first memory. So I remember being a little kid and looking at a birthday cake that my mom had made me. Now, is that is that when I began? Because like I, I existed, I had memories and I had consciousness 10 seconds before I looked at that cake, right?
2: Yeah. I was
1: there, but I don't remember any of that. Does that mean that I didn't exist? It doesn't make any sense. you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like Even that simple question is totally mind-boggling to me. Yeah. So it's things like that that I think about. Maybe I'm just driving myself insane. I don't no, know. No, it's, but... it's
0: true. I think about it all the time because similar, similar experience, I think, like, earliest I can remember is, yeah, s- something like that. Maybe, I don't know, maybe four years old, three years old, something like that, like going on a fishing trip with mm-hmm. family. I can kind of remember some little moments here and there, but even then sometimes it's hard to, if you're looking at like a picture or something like that, are you truly remembering it or are you kind of just, you know, create something in your mind thinking that I remember that. Right. 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 It's hard to tell. And it is like, yeah, like you said, like I existed, I was living, but like, I don't know, at what point do you truly
1: become conscious yeah. of what's going on? I mean, it makes you question, like, even your own existence. You're like, I I, exi- I know I exist because yeah. I'm thinking right now, <laughs> but did I exist? Like, how, how does that even, you know, it, it, the, the picture gets blurred really quickly even when you think of, like, your conscious existence. It's so, it's so strange. This is one of the reasons that I like psych um, is because – it helps me to some degree, even though these questions are still mind boggling and blow me away, but it, it helps me to understand like, okay, well, there's, there's ways that human beings make sense of their conscious experience. And that's a good little segue, right? How, the, how those two mm-hmm. things kind of tie in, like the, the philosophy of everything, your existence and all that versus, you know, just like your, how you make sense of your daily existence as well. Yeah. How you exist in the world. Yeah. That's why I like psych.
0: It's so much of a I don't know. It just it gets in your head though sometimes <laughs> if you start thinking about it too much and you know, so uh-huh. like, it's it's kind of like when you start thinking about like breathing or something something that's just like an autonomic thing mm-hmm. that you're just like you know and you do I gotta you know you start manually thinking about breathing <laughs> and stuff like that but it's just like when you get a little bit too introspective about it and mm-hmm. you start really delving into existence and when did it start when's it gonna end is yeah. it gonna continue on after I no living, you yeah, know, Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know. It gets, it gets really intense, but it's also, it's fun to think about. Yeah. I, I
1: love that stuff. I just, I think about that stuff constantly, probably too much to be honest with you.
0: Do you, <laughs> but, you're, are, you're married then or yeah. yeah do you yeah.
1: talk about that kind of stuff with your wife a lot? Like do um, you ever... Not about, no, not about that very much. Um, I mean, we've had some minor discussions about that. We both had losses in our family. Like, um, mm-hmm. People that we care about really deeply, and you know that obviously like brings up issues of like loss and um, how to deal with that. But um, yeah, we don't we don't talk about that too much. You no, know? yeah, it's a pretty heavy topic. <laughs> <laughs> I just reserved that for podcasts. Yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. I guess you wouldn't want to bring that over a nice dinner with wine and everything. So, Let's honey, talk about listen. the end of our existence. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Let's talk about existence and such. <laughs> Yeah. That's a good point. Maybe, yeah. Now I'm in, now I want to bring that up with my girlfriend. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Let me know where that conversation goes, man. Let's talk about existence. <laughs> What's your take on that? Uh, but, um, I guess it'd be interesting to delve back into your career. And stuff. Yeah, sorry, we went, we <laughs> no, went way off topic. On no, that. but it was, it was good. It's interesting. And it gets people thinking. Yeah. And that's what I think is, uh, it's kind of what this is all about. I just want people to think about different things. And th- Part of that is uh kinda why somebody from your kind of point of view and your career path and everything, why would you consider things like existence and stuff mm. in the way that you do? What have you learned and and your in your path and knowing about people's, you know, um people's mentality and everything, mm. why would somebody Think of existence ending or beginning or anything like that. Continue (laughs) on or not continue? Because I like to drive myself insane. Yeah, yeah. or with consciousness, like you said, (laughs) same thing. It is really interesting where you can. Drink yourself to a point to where you are still living, but you are not conscious of what's yeah, going exactly, on or right? what you're doing. Yeah. You know,
1: so you see the pictures on Facebook the next True day. True right? that. <laughs> <laughs> you hear the
0: stories. You're know, like, "Wow, I was alive during that time." I'm like, what? I did that? Crazy? Oh god, yeah, I was not conscious. <laughs> but yeah, all that stuff. It is. It's scary to think that it's like something is. As Minors as alcohol can really cut you off of your consciousness mm-hmm. at a certain point. Right. So what's right. death going to do for you? Exactly. You know? Exactly. Right. And that's what's scary is it just things like when I'm going to come to that, what's going to happen? You yeah. Know? It's like, is that, is that really the end? Like, am I just like how, I think it's hard to fathom, like. Obviously, when you're asleep, it's not like you're registering for eight hours or seven hours. I am asleep right now. Right, right. It's just like you close your eyes, then at some point you open them again. Yeah. And that's that's a profound change in
1: consciousness, right? Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you've had periods of time where you fall asleep and you're like dead out for hours and hours. And you wake up. It's like, well, did I exist during that? Well, of course I did. Yeah. But my consciousness was completely different at that time, right? And so if sleep can impact me that significantly – like imagine if your brain didn't exist. Like mm-hmm. how how is that even comprehensible at that point? I don't I don't really think that it is. Can
0: I, while we're still within this this realm of topic, can I ask you like, really what's your thoughts on the idea that we're living in a simulation?
1: Oh okay, the, yeah, the simulation argument. So uh, this is really interesting. I I guess it's possible. I I think that it falls along the lines of. Does it matter or not? So mm-hmm. um, how do I explain it? It's basically kind of like... So first of all, it's it's unprovable, You, at least with current technology or whatever. I, did, I can't really fathom an experiment where they could figure out that it was a simulation or not. It's, it's fascinating to think of, though. Um, and from some, like... I forgot the philosopher that came up with the idea in the first place of it. But it, it appears, given the formulation of what he was saying, the likelihood is higher that this actually is a simulation than it isn't a simulation. But I guess the, the question at the end of the day, if you think pragmatically, is would it impact your life? How, how does it change your life in any way, right? So if let, you, if let's-
0: If you knew that it was or Yeah, when? so let's
1: say that it is, right? So I'm telling you right now, like I'm, I'm a messenger from the alien gods that's here to tell you, your life is nothing but a simulation. Does that, would that really change anything for you? I mean, I don't think it would. Like, you you would might be, like, temporarily freaked out. Like, oh, my God, this is I'm, – I'm tripping right yeah. now. And then, you know what? In an hour or two, you would get hungry or you'd have to go to the bathroom or whatever. And you would go back to your normal life, right? I
0: think it would become something that people would realize, like, well, I guess if I live in a simulation, then a simulation is all I've ever known. And so far, I've been okay. Yeah. You know, why should I have an issue with it now? Right, right. So – I mean, yeah, there'd be a little bit of freak out over it, but right. I think that in general, like, yeah, what would you change? Would you start going out there and killing people or right. something? Like what are right. you gonna do? Right. Like,
1: and that's a kind of a like a fatalism versus free will argument yeah. as well. Yeah. And I mean, yeah, it's 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 super bizarre, man. Like I, I I think about things like um like the like the fate of the universe, like does the universe like just get recreated over and over again? Is it possible that we've like lived this life? an oh, infinite number of times or we'll continue to do that right all the time yeah is there like uh, uh you think of like many worlds theory is there like an infinite number of different existences in which we're doing all the different kinds of things all the different permutations of everything that's even possible yeah is that happening um i don't know if you've ever listened to, do you ever listen to joe rogan's podcast I've heard it once or twice, not not very much though. Yeah. He
0: talks about the idea of like, what if we're just living our life over and over and t- again until it, it just gets slowly better and better every time we live it. Oh, that's a positive way to look at it. Yeah, it is. A positive <laughs> way. But he also it's like, like a Groundhog Day way of yeah, living. Yeah, right. He also thinks about it like, what if when we go to sleep we slip into another dimension? like Ooh. it's like it's not just a dream but we're like living within actually dimension. in another another <laughs> yeah. dimension
1: that that's interesting that's fascinating I, it makes me think of um do you know the the concept of the eternal recurrence from Nietzsche i don't think so no so you know who Nietzsche is right the I've heard famous it, yeah. philosopher dude yeah that all the hipsters love mm-hmm. um he's kind of a cool guy but uh so one of the things that he talked about is this idea of the eternal recurrence and he he talked about it in positive terms so the the way that he said it was like okay Imagine that your life is a series of infinite lives. You're going to live this life over and over and over and over again for ad infinitum, forever. So perform actions that you would want to perform for eternity, right? Mm. So ask yourself going into an action, is this the thing that I want to do knowing that this thing is what I'm going to be doing for the rest of eternity? And that will help to guide you in, oh, yeah, I'm living a good life or, or no, I'm not. Mm-hmm. that's kind of an interesting way he's maybe the original joe rogan in that way yeah'm thinking about that
0: but yeah it's that's it, interesting that's fascinating mm-hmm. to me yeah do you do you uh study like philosophers and such from like like him and other ones kind of prior do you study what their thoughts were and what they thought of the
1: universe and existence and everything like that yeah yeah I've always really been into philosophy um again I mean i I've I think a lot of it just goes back to me when I was a kid, especially like really I've always just been super curious about like the universe and this is why I'm into psych because I'm curious about like, like I said, you know, people's motivations and why they do what they do. And so I think I turned to philosophy and psychology because it helped to answer a lot of those questions or explain some of the questions that I had about things. Mm -hmm. Um, And so, yeah, that's why I was double majoring in that. I've continued to like – I love philosophy. Obviously, considering we've been talking about that for a while now. Yeah. Um, I just find that stuff really, really interesting, and it's I listen to podcasts on philosophy and psychology and uh, read books on it. I, I just, I don't know. It, it helps me to understand myself and what I experience and um, give kind of direction, hopefully. Yeah. (laughs) To me, maybe to other people. I don't know. Yeah. No, that makes sense. I just find it really interesting. It's a, it's a great like, um, intellectual exercise, I think.
0: Well, it can change your perspective of, like on a day to day basis and the way that you want to interact with others or even approach your, your, you know, your own interactions for yourself yeah. or the way that you want to consider things, issues that you come across in your life and how you want to take it. Yeah. Which is, uh, important to consider those things, you know? Mm-hmm. um, I could see, I could see why, I mean, I've always heard people joke around about the idea of like, man, like going for like philosophy, philosophy major, like that's a, you know, that's an interesting route to go for. Like, but I could see learning it and how it could really improve your life and being kind of more introspective and considerate of your actions and what goes on in the world. And, you know, what you can do to improve your life for yourself or for others and such like that. I think Those- it helps.
1: Yeah. I, more than anything, I think it helps to give me <laughs> maybe misplaced confidence, but confidence in like, am I doing the right thing or do I, do I really understand what's happening or why I'm doing what I'm doing? Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know how, how well the confidence is, is built into it, but I, I think that it, it helps that way. It helps me to understand the world better
0: yeah understand why people kind of i guess philosophy ties in really well with psychology it does yeah so those there's a lot of history between the two yeah those two complement each other very well yeah especially
1: um i mean in in a lot of different areas and one of the big ones is um like existentialism is a huge part of like that is an actual field in psychology as well as um that's a direct tie-in between psychology Mm. and philosophy existential um like gestalt and a whole bunch of it a lot of the theoretical orientations um, fall into that so there, there's a lot of tie-in between those two things
0: and what is what is existentialism like what's that usually studying and focusing
1: in on so in psych it's primarily about the experience that the subject is having like um, it, it often deals with things like existential angst i'm sure you've heard that term before like this mm-hmm. fear of death and stuff like that that that's all like existential and then How that ties into um, existential philosophy, that's a really big category. But basically, it refers to um, understanding the difference between subjective versus objective. So subjective, what's in you, versus Mm -hmm. objective, what's outside of you, and the differences between those things. Um, And a lot of the, the... Problems that human beings experience and a lot of the misunderstandings that we have about ourselves in the world happen because of us not really understanding that there's a differentiation between subjective and objective. So I can give you an example of that, which is that um, people oftentimes, and it's kind of shocking how often people will do this. They'll think, well, because I believe this thing is true, that means that it's true, Right. And that is completely false. That That is a totally irrational way of thinking. But human beings do this all of the time, right? And every, everybody does this. I've, I've done this before. Everybody falls into this trap. Um, but that can get you into some really bad places really, really quickly, depending on what you're believing and the way that you're believing it, right? Yeah. So, um, yeah, me thinking like, oh, well, I need to kill other people that don't look like me or don't believe like I do because – um, for whatever reason, like God has told me that I need to do that or whatever, that you're taking a subjective belief or understanding of the universe and applying that to something that's objective. You're saying, you're really not understanding that it is a subjective experience as opposed to an objective reality. You're saying like, oh, well, okay. God is actually talking, God is not telling you this or that there's no indication, that there's no verification that that is actually true. You're you imposing your subjective belief system on reality right okay yeah do you ever um i guess it'd be interesting with the knowledge
0: that you have and everything that you could consider but do you ever evaluate to the best that you can like some kind of historical figure and figure out why it is that they made the decisions that they did so when you brought up the whole idea of like somebody killing a lot of people that didn't look like they do or that you know, or that you know doesn't share the same beliefs. I kind of immediately start to think about like like Hitler.
1: Yeah, he's the easy easiest example. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah. Yeah.
0: Do you ever like someone like him or anyone else? Do you ever try and like study them and be and figure out what did they have going on? Like what happened in their life and everything? Like being kind of with what you know and everything that you've yeah. learned in psychology. Do you ever like think about that? Oh yeah, sure. I mean,
1: I. I... Yeah, I mean, with kind of with kind of everything. I mean, I th- I think so. Going back to our earlier discussion, I think that that's probably part of the reason that you find the Joker really interesting, right? Yeah. Because you see someone that is doing, and I don't exactly know what he does in the film, but I know he's a bad guy, so he's probably doing horrible things at some point. And the question is, well, you know, why is it? And th- this is one of the reasons that I really liked. Um, Working in forensics, right? Because I'm dealing with people that are murderers and rapists and have done every horrible conceivable thing you could possibly imagine. And asking myself like – I mean I guess an interesting question is like can I fathom myself ever doing something like that? Like what what would the circumstances have to be in order for me to do something that horrible, right? And the more you understand why people do what they do, the more you're going to be inclined to ask questions about – you People are not binary. They're not all good or they're all bad. People are variations of gray in between. And um, this is the reason that case studies like the Joker or, you know, thinking about like, well, why is it that somebody like Hitler would do the things that he did? It doesn't. It doesn't mean that you're you're passively agreeing with what that person did. It's not like, oh, I'm in support of Hitler or the Joker or whatever. I'm like this big insult dude or anything. But it's more like I'm really curious how someone can have these life experiences that yeah. can lead them to a point where they would actually act out in this way. Like why why is that? What was going on with this person? Yeah. And I, I can I think, imagine. Yeah, that. always in the back of my head. I'm like, well, I wow, wonder, I wonder if I would react in the same way if I was like – placed in that situation, that set of circumstances or
0: Yeah, that's uh oh, what's it called? Uh there was just recently a uh time back to Nazis. There was a docuseries (laughs) series that was uploaded on um on Netflix called I think it was called The Devil Next Door and it was about I think uh, I've
1: seen that on there. I haven't watched it yet, but I've seen the the Yeah, I think
0: it was uh I know his last name was Demaniac. I think his first name was John. But anyways, he was basically put on trial because they thought that he was Ivan the terrible who okay. was some kind of Nazi guard yeah. in Treblinka. Okay. And, um, anyways, so all said and done, like I watched it with my girlfriend and she was like, you know, I mean, it's terrible. Even if he, I'm, I don't want to spoil it for you, but yeah. So basically, yeah, it was basically like, well, I don't know his involvement or something is still questionable mm-hmm. but it makes you question if you were alive in that time you were a male you're of age to be asked to join the war right. and fight for a certain cause and the penalty penalty that if you don't is some kind of imprisonment or possible death yeah what yeah. are you gonna do exactly yeah. you know like I don't know and that's that's why I think it's it's hard I'm not any kind of Nazi sympathizer or anything. (laughs) But I'm just saying that there was a lot of individuals that were put in really Of course, yeah. Really hard places, being that like we expect this of you. Mm -hmm. You are, you know, you're of age to serve Hitler. Like what do you do with that point? It it shows
1: how social pressure can really push someone in a certain direction. Yeah.
0: Like, I don't know. It's just hard to think of like if you were eighteen or nineteen years old at that time and if you're being threatened with pros- like possible imprisonment or being put to death, yeah, what are you going to do, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah.
1: I it was, um, it was the last year or the year before. I was at uh, Dachau in Germany. Oh, wow. And it's totally fascinating because uh, – so at the concentration camp there, they have exhibits that talk about how the population next to Dachau, they knew what was going on or at least to some degree. It wasn't – they weren't – they may have turned a blind eye to certain things. They might not have known everything that was going on in there, but they mm. knew that good things were not happening yeah. in Out, <laughs> right? Yeah. And so, um, yeah, when the Americans came in, they made them go in and like clear up all the bodies and yeah. um, they, they really forced it on them. And it, it, you're right. I mean, it's it's a really fascinating um, discussion to have where like you, you could potentially be in direct conflict with, uh, everything that your society holds dear. And that is a super big price to pay, right? I mean, yeah. you might, in in uh, in Nazi Germany, you're going to wind up strung up or shot next to a wall. Or mm-hmm. it, it, something horrible is going to happen to you if you stand up directly opposed to that kind of thing. So yeah. it, it's really, really interesting. But that at the same time, you know, then you think, well, does that justify me, <laughs> you know, participating in the extermination of 6 million people? Or, or Yeah. Whatever it is. These are really fascinating kind of sociological and philosophical and psychological questions. Mm -hmm.
0: I mean, it's just so easy to, you know, order food in off of Uber Eats and watch a documentary (laughs) and say, like, well, if I was in that same situation, I wouldn't have done that. Yeah. It's like, you don't know. You don't know until
1: you're in that situation. And people are really impacted by social pressure. I, I, Most people... I again, I think that this is kind of a, a psychological thing where most people think like, oh, i would I would totally not do anything like that. i I wouldn't be impacted like that. You, every one of us is impacted every single day by social pressure in ways that we don't even really comprehend. Mm-hmm. Um, and when you get that kind of put in your face, it's it's really I mean, there's tons of psychological experiments to show how. Like serious that is, it's it's really amazing. They'll do ones where they'll have. I mean, there's a bazillion of them, but one that I heard about recently, um, a famous one where they have there's like two lines, right? And I can't you can't show this on radio, but there there's uh, lines on like projected onto a wall, and they have uh, one person come in, and then there's like ten other people that are in there, and that the person thinks that they're they're all participants, right? When when in fact they're not. They're just like one person versus all these people that are that are faking it. And they sit at the end of this table, and the the uh, experimenter goes, "Okay, well, I want everybody to like point out which one of these lines is the longest one or the shortest one." And they're at the end of the table, so they go last, right? So the the um, collaborators all start going down in the row, and they say the wrong one every time, right? Purposely. Yeah, exactly.
0: They, they like that's part of the test, right? That they're like. Like they are in on it yeah. and this one individual is not. Exactly, yes. Okay, cool. Because
1: they want want to check to see can these 10 people impact what this person knows to be actually true. And almost always the person will go along with what the the group has said. Now, this is different than saying like, oh, I'm going to go kill people or whatever. But the the point is that um, there's an enormous social impact in the way that we perceive our reality and then react accordingly to that. Yeah. And people don't really realize. That. I don't think we really want to, honestly. It's true. I mean, it's hard to think like, oh, because it makes you realize that you don't have as much um, freedom of choice that you might think that you do. And I think that's yeah. really disturbing to people.
0: Yeah. That's like, that's similar to a video that I've seen where it's a bunch of people in like a waiting room and there's like some bell or something like a buzzer that chimes mm-hmm. and everything and everybody will stand up. Yeah. 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 I've seen things like know? that. Yeah. And yeah. And slowly as people come in, they you know, they'll just start realizing like, okay, I guess I have to do that too when right. this happens. And then they'll start teaching new people. To exactly. Come in yes. And that don't know any yep. anything other. And it's like yep. That's interesting. And that it goes back to what you're saying is how heavily we can be influenced by mm-hmm. our surroundings and such. Absolutely. Yeah. Which you know, you have to take into consideration when people are born in certain areas of the world and how those or even even of the US and the culture that they're brought into mm-hmm. and then some of the actions or anything that they take and they, they fall into, I don't know, some people are just kinda screwed from the start, you know?
1: Yeah, yeah, and that, so the way that I would refer to it, to the inmates when I was talking with them, they, they would oftentimes, some of the research and stuff we'd go over, they'd say things like, well, I'm, I'm just totally screwed then. Or, you know, you talk about like recidivism rates. Recidivism rates are really high and they're determined by a. a Variety of factors, but they can really, really impact the likelihood that somebody's going to reoffend in the future or not. And talking about those things, clients would sometimes say, "Like, well, I'm totally screwed then, right? Like, uh, there's no way that I'm going to be able to to live a decent life. Like, I should just give up right now." And the the analogy that I would use a couple different ones is that um, it's like playing cards, right? It's like playing uh, life is like Texas Hold'em or whatever card game that you play, right? And you can get a really, really shitty hand of cards dealt to you, and you could still win, right? If you bluff or you play really well, it's possible that you could come out on top. It might not be as likely as if you had this great hand, right? Um, it's not like a royal flush or whatever, but you still, there, there's this potential that even though you have a really sad, sad set of circumstances, you can still come out on top in some way or another, um, so it's not necessarily predetermined. Or another analogy that I would use is it's like um, like a sailing ship on the ocean. So the wind can kind of blow you in one direction or another. It can it can push you in certain directions. But you can fight against that uh, given, you know, if you're really good at navigating or good with the sails or whatever. That can help to direct you in the, in the direction that you want to go. Mm-hmm. Um, so those are the ways that I kind of tried to reframe it to the clients when I would talk with them in the past.
0: Yeah. 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 That's, uh, it's interesting too. I was just actually earlier today, I was watching, uh, I was watching a show called, I think it's called fastest car and it's, uh, it's basically where there's four cars that take place and just a drag race and everything. Mm-hmm. And three of them are individuals that build the, their own car. Yeah. Like it's just like an old, you know, Honda or an old, you know, whatever it is. And there's somebody with like a supercar, and they all race. Anyways, I was watching this one episode where the guy that was a super. He was driving the supercar. He was really, you know, super wealthy, very successful. Mm-hmm. He had a very shitty, you know, hand dealt to him from the beginning. He was born in Iran at a time when there was wars going on and everything. And yeah. he, they basically had to. Uh, flee Iran and go to France as refugees yeah. learn how to you know figure things out there and then eventually they came to the States and you know he was driven to find success after sealing, seeing such like a, a struggle growing up being raised by a single mother mm-hmm. so sometimes it's hard because it's like some people are really driven to get out of that and succeed when they have only ever known Yeah, you know, failure and compromise, you know, everything. Absolutely. So,
1: and this, um, so two things to say about that: Um, motivation to change, right? That's how we would refer to it in psych, and that is probably the primary reason that people either succeed or fail. I think in life is that if if people Number one get an understanding of what their issues are right mm-hmm. do they do they know what's going on with them and then do they have some desire and capacity for change in their life if they do it's more than likely they're going to get better to some degree it might not be this perfect rosy life or whatever but they're probably going to get better to some degree um, and also that uh, probability is not certainty at the same time so even though it might be like a 90 percent chance of something happening it means that there's a 10% chance that it won't happen. And it, it's not an absolute guarantee that that thing is going to happen. So those are kind of things that I would try and reiterate with clients when I talk with them.
0: Yeah. So uh, I guess we get back on track. About the <laughs> career. We, we really went off. Eventually minute. we'll talk about <laughs> yeah
1: other things. Yeah.
0: So I guess um, – so after you graduated from George Fox yeah. and then you got that job working with those um, – was that then when you worked
1: with kind of youth and people like that were yeah so that was that was actually before that oh, okay um, yeah yeah so worked with the kids um then got into graduate school worked as a student therapist and then at the end mm. uh in the in the um the hospital as well in the child and adolescent psychiatric inpatient unit and then after that um right when I was getting done with school, I knew that I needed to get a job. I, I even started this discussion. We went totally <laughs> off track. Sorry. Uh, one of my supervisors there said, hey, uh, there's a position that's open in the prison here mm. that you can work in. Um, pays really well. It's got PERS, that whole deal. Um, do you want to do it? And so I needed a job. So I'm like, oh yeah, I'll totally sign up. And it, it was interesting to me, looking back, my perception of of. Inmates, people that were incarcerated, was very, very different back then. It was more of a lock them up and throw away the key mentality. Mm -hmm. Um, And I thought that even going in there. And it was a huge, huge learning experience for me to actually sit down with those people once I started working in the prison um, and dealing with them. It it is a completely fascinating population. And I've just been totally blown away by forensic psych since that point because – the individuals, their stories, their life histories, um, their motivation, um, just their, like, personality characteristics. Some of the most, like, humble people I've ever met are people that are incarcerated or wow. um, people that are, like, super honest in shocking, shocking ways. Um, uh people that are deeply forgiving. I mean, these qualities that people would normally not associate with inmates. Yeah. Um, applies to many of them, not all of them. I mean, there are certainly, there are ones that are just total assholes that don't want to change their life. And, um, there, there's certainly a large number of them, but, um, I've been consistently shocked at, um, how human and important those experiences are. Um, That I've I've really found it, I think it's a privilege that I have to be able to talk to people um, that are in these extremely difficult life circumstances that really nobody else gets to experience ever. Um, It's really fascinating. And it's kind of a cool environment because I'll get to talk to people that normally would never, ever in their life ever seek out mental health care. Mm-hmm. and yet um because of the circumstances i wind up talking with them and that's some of those conversations are just totally amazing it's it's yeah, completely bet. fascinating
0: why do you think that it is that they are so kind of yeah like you were saying like humble and they're just so um i don't know that they yeah that they are better people than people may think and that they're really do you think it's because they've kind of hit like a really low point like a really hard point yeah, pointers. for those that are
1: there, and again, it's not all of them, but for those that are there, um, man, being being incarcerated, it's hard to imagine things getting lower yeah. than that, right? I mean, it is it is something that you cannot, I mean, everybody's got their problems, but we can kind of put masks on to deal with those things, you know, uh, I'm still going to go to work every day or, or see my family or care about whoever I care about um but when you get to the point where your life has so severely degraded that you are now incarcerated like you yeah. you have nothing else to do other than sit and think about the the things that you did to lead you to that environment and usually people have gone through like a long legal process to get to that point like they they've had a lot of opportunity to sit and think about the things that they've done and you can't ignore it like a lot of people were using drugs that they used to um block out the negative emotions that they experience. It oftentimes leads them to commit crimes as well. But um, that's really, really common. And now all of a sudden they're sober and they're sitting there thinking about things and you cannot ignore when your family doesn't want to talk to you anymore or when you have, um, you know, like I I remember this one guy that I talked to that had just this unbelievable amount of regret because when he was in his addiction before he got incarcerated he, I think it was his nephew, um, his brother had bought his kid a whole bunch of like um, coins, like gold, like collector's coins, mm-hmm. and had given them to, the, to his son. Um, and then my, my client was his uncle, right? And so this kid was super excited, little kid, super excited to show his uncle all of these coins. And he said that in the midst of his addiction, he broke into their house and he stole all those coins and he sold them for drugs and and used them. And he was absolutely devastated by this when I was talking with him. I mean, traumatized uh, by the impact that he knew just this overwhelming guilt and shame of, you know, annihilating his relationship with his family members. And I don't know, I can't remember if he had actually told um, his brother or the, the son that or not. I don't. I don't know if he was in debate about how he was going to do that, um, but things like that are really, really common with the people that I've talked to. Like they find yeah. themselves in these positions where they're like, "Man, I have really fucked up, and I have no idea how I'm going to deal with this now." Yeah, and that's a that's a really privileged position that I'm in to sit with them in that um, that state of like not knowing and being terribly afraid. And just devastated by the consequences of their life and its impact on other people that they care about, um, and trying to help them through that—that's that's a really um, kind of profound thing that I've been witness to time after time. Yeah, that's one of the reasons that I really like that kind of work.
0: Yeah, I imagine that that's really uh, pretty humbling and like pretty yeah pretty eye opening to see yeah. people like get to this point and
1: have to figure out a way to get out of it. Well, talking to – it reminds me a little bit of kind of what we were talking about before. I've talked to multiple, multiple people that are going to go to prison for the rest of their lives, right? Like there's no doubt they they are, um, you know, at minimum 20 to life and it's – we're looking at life, right? Like they're never going to get out. They're man. never getting out. And I've talked to people that are like 20 years old that are looking – you know, like double murder charges yeah. going away to prison forever. And that's a really interesting – discussion because it's that is not regular therapy that's not like some yoga mom from west lynn coming in yeah saying you know oh i'm you know tired of my husband or kid whatever out. yeah, yeah. Th- this is a kid saying knowing my, my life is over like everything that i've experienced up to this point i will never ever have that again i will never walk out of these doors and be a regular human being again i will be incarcerated until the day that i die and what the hell do i do with that right? How do I live my life? Like, what, how am I supposed to, to, to do this? And, um, that is a really significant discussion to sit down with someone and have time after time after time, like, how, how are we going to deal with this? Like, what do you want to do? What do you want your life to look like now? You know, you're, you're never going to have a regular relationship with someone, right? Yeah. Like, what, what is that going to be like for you? Um, those discussions are really, really fascinating. And most people in my field never have the opportunity to have chats like that with people
0: what like how do you approach something like that being someone that like you're never you, like you haven't you've never been in that place where it's like you're gonna be <laughs> not like that no yeah like how do you how do you talk to somebody where they know that that to be they they know that that's the case too they're receiving this uh advice from someone that isn't their same shoes like are they pretty like you don't know what I'm really dealing yeah, with. Yeah, now. yeah, yeah. Okay. Get it. Like, yeah, no, no. Yeah. Is that
1: hard? That's a, that's a really good question. So, um, yeah, what you're asking is how to connect with those people yeah, and make them you... trust you. Yeah. Yeah. So the answer is don't give advice. Number one, therapy okay. is not advice. If anyone that goes to a therapist, by the way, if they're giving you advice all the time, it's probably not a not a good therapist. Um, it's it's not about that. It's not about me telling people this is what you should do, right? Because life is not that simple, obviously. Like if it was that easy, you could just read a book or go ask your friend and they would tell you, and be like, oh, okay, all my problems are solved now. It's not, just life does not work like that, right? So again, it's like I was talking about before, it's falling back on that relationship of saying like, we might be in very different places, right? I'm gonna go, home, and I would say this all the time to them. I'm gonna go home to my family, to the people that I care about at the end of the day, right? But right now I'm here with you and I care about what's happening with you. I want to know what's going on with you and I want to help you to deal with this in whatever way you want to deal with it. And um, again, this kind of goes back to like the existential stuff and everything that we're talking about. Um, they have agency over their lives. It's totally up to them as to what they want to do. They could say at any second, you know, screw this. I don't want to do this. I want to go back to my cell and try and get drugs and run in a gang and be crazy. Mm-hmm. That's fine. Like, I there's nothing I could do to stop you. You have a great day. You know, go enjoy yourself. But most of the time, people would not do that. I mean, the the vast majority of the time, like almost never. People want to sit and and have a discussion about this. Is what I'm going through, and I don't. I have no idea how the hell to deal with this. Um, and that's the process: is to try and form this relationship with that person, and just be kind of a sounding board to them and what their struggle is. That's the most important thing when it comes to therapy, and that's that's what um, dealing with people in that environment really forces on you very quickly as a therapist yeah. to realize. Because if I come in there as some privileged, idiot, white person that, you know, it just has my own perspective on the world and I really don't give a shit about other people and want to give them advice. They will not, in that environment, you will not survive. That will not turn out well for you. Nobody's going to talk to you. You might wind up getting blasted in the face at some point. Um, that's a really stupid way to engage with people. And you learn that very, very quickly in that environment. Um, but, you know, at the same time, I, I would come... I normally would dress up uh, nice for work, like nice button down and, and everything. And so I looked radically different than the people that were in there. And at the same time, you know, they're in pinks and blues or their 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 jail gear. And uh, we would talk about those differences. And at the same time, at the end of the day, I cared about them and what was going on with them. And that's what mattered was the relationship that we were forming, not who we were I mean, who we are is important but it's like it's who we are together when we're talking about this that really matters.
0: Have you ever had an experience when like somebody wants to even if even if they transition to a new location or something or even a different if they get out of jail or something like that mm-hmm. and they're like I still want to talk to you. Like I still want to Oh yeah, I've had people say that. People can lot, people yeah. do that? Like
1: so well <sighs> Kind of, but not really. In my in my current position, I can see people that are getting out of jail, um, but that that's a little bit different. I can't go into that right now. But um, as a public employee, you can't solicit work. That's, that's oh, like okay. a huge ethical issue. So I, I couldn't go in there and be like, hey, guys, I'm doing like
0: yeah, here's my card. therapy once
1: yeah. you get out of here if you want to do that. <laughs> um, most of them couldn't afford that anyways. Um, so it doesn't really work. Like that, but you could give them referrals. Like I would tell them, like go to Cascadia or LifeWorks or one of the the major mental health providers in the Portland metro area. Once you get out, and you can continue therapy there. And that I mean, that's one of the cool things about therapy is that you are you're training people to have positive relationships hopefully with everyone so you could say like well you know i care about our relationship i think it's really super meaningful for me and at the same time just like any relationship there's going to be an end to this and the point is where are you going to get support once we're done talking right like where else can you find support in the future i'm not the only person that you can talk to about the issues that you're experiencing so how can we get you to a point where you feel comfortable in doing that
0: i imagine that's like a really important factor of it like you can't abandon this kind of, you know, communication and connection with somebody. Like you need to go mm-hmm. find some kind of outlet to help keep you on the path that you're Absolutely. on. Absolutely, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, and because um, managing those difficult and negative emotions is um, a super important way to keep yourself from recidivating and going back to jail and prison. Yeah, really important.
0: What, like, I guess, what would you say to somebody that? might be at risk for getting themselves into like jail or prison but they haven't they haven't done anything to get there yet. And they know that they're thinking like I, I should find help but I don't know how to approach it. How would somebody what if somebody can't afford to find help? What is it what's their options?
1: Yeah, okay, so I mean there's there's a lot of options. You you do not have to go to like us we go and pay a Therapist, $200 an hour to get yeah. therapy. First of all, there, there's a ton of resources out there. There's like hotlines that people can call mental health and suicide prevention hotlines. There's, uh, I mean, it depends obviously on where people live, but most major metropolitan areas will have low to no cost mental health care in the Portland metro area, like Cascadia and LifeWorks Northwest are the two kind of primary um, huge ones. There's some other ones as well, but um, if you're in a big metropolitan area, And even if you're not a lot of even smaller towns now have low to no cost, um, some type of mental health therapy that they can engage in, or if not, I mean, especially if somebody's like in a rural environment or whatever, I'm sure that there are online resources that people can look up as well. Um, I don't know how extensive those are, but, um, I'm sure that those things are available. But so if you feel like you need help, reach out for it is what I would recommend, um, if you use substances, we haven't really talked about substance use all that much, but I have a lot of training and experience in that. Substance use is one of the primary things that drives um, kind of everything, <laughs> basically, as I say that as we're drinking beer right now <laughs> and engaging in substance use. But um, ironically, it's not lost on me, but uh, it really does. It, it plays really significantly into the development and exacerbation of mental health issues. Um, the vast majority of criminal activity is um, at least enhanced by substance use. I mean, there there were times when I was doing groups, I've done this so many times with groups of inmates where I've asked them like, um, how many of you are sitting here because of substance use? Like if you were not using, you probably wouldn't be sitting in here right now. And Almost every time, and I've done this like with hundreds and hundreds of people, almost every time everyone raises their hands. Wow. So it's it's completely amazing. And, and part of it could be them uh, like minimizing responsibility, saying like, oh, well, it's substance use. It's not my fault. I really don't think that that's what it is, though, because um, a lot of those people I knew really well and had really extensive conversations with um, uh, and we were really open and honest with one another. So I knew their histories really well. And um, it's it's pretty universal that um, substance use and criminality really go hand in hand. Yeah. So minimizing that would be really important in whatever way somebody feels like they're capable of doing it, going to AA or NA or um, engaging in some type of treatment, dealing with whatever mental health issues they have, um, if they have any kind of mental health stuff going on, forming positive relationships with other people. That's what I would recommend. Getting you know answering your question as to what people should do to keep themselves out of it, don't engage in crime. Do what you can to not engage in crime because that's what's going to get you. Yeah, yeah.
0: Yeah, I always find like I don't know when people find themselves in a really hard place, like emotionally or anything like that. It seems like they want to slip away into like a hole of like isolating themselves from friends and
1: everything. That's common, yeah.
0: When it seems like that's the most important time to Mm -hmm. like when I when I get really like negative or I'm having a hard time, it's really easy for my mind to start just starting to run away from me and getting super negative. And my, my answer is I need to like get around people. Yeah. Even if I get really like stressed out or anxiety kind of sets in a little bit, I'm like, I need to go like, I need to be around people like right now. I need to know that like, there's still positive things that are occurring in the world because like otherwise I'll run myself like off the tracks and i like, it's so negative, you know? Yep. Yep. And, um, it seems like just reaching out to people is a really important thing to do yeah, when I you're totally struggling do. or having a hard time. It's just making a connection with somebody to be like, you know what? Having a really hard time. Even if it's with something super simple, you mm-hmm. know, if it's school is stressing you out or a relationship or something like that, yeah. Like you said, yeah, some kind of um, substance abuse or anything. Like reaching out to people,
1: absolutely, yeah,
0: really important. You know,
1: I I totally, I totally agree with that. Human beings are extremely social, um, even if we don't really want to be at the time, and and it's especially with depression, which is like one of the most common mental health disorders. Um, one of the symptoms of that is that people have a tendency to not want to engage with other human beings. And that is, this is when I talk to people that are depressed, I'll tell them like, you have got to fight against that. Like one of the most important things that you need to do is that the times where you're like, I don't want to be around anyone is the time that you probably need most to be around other people. And that's really hard to do. But you know, if you find people that you trust and that you care about and you know care about you, those are the people that you need to turn to and try and establish positive relationships with.
0: Yeah, I don't know what it is for me, but whenever like I get really negative, I'm like god, I I'd love to just, you know, be at you know, tap room or something with a friend, just having a beer yeah. like just anything to just get me out of like sitting here by myself Absolutely. and just left to my thoughts, right. you know? Like
1: when people get ruminative too, right? Like they, they start thinking these negative thoughts and then it's hard to get out of that pattern of thinking. Yeah. And when you're stuck in an environment, when you intentionally stick yourself in an environment that you can't get out of, it's hard to change your thought patterns at that time. So it's Mm -hmm. easier to say like, okay, I need to get the hell out of here and do something else. I need to be around somebody positive that can help to redirect my thoughts that can help to interrupt that that ruminative process where you're thinking about something over and over again
0: yeah sometimes honestly even if I'm out in public or something I'm in a bad mood if I see other people like strangers that are like they're enjoying themselves sometimes mm-hmm. that makes me feel better absolutely like yeah. knowing like even though I feel so negative and so just down right now yeah it's just nice to see that like there's other people still enjoying life there isn't yeah there's yeah, joy there's, in the world there's yeah. enjoying Going on, like even <laughs> if it's not me that's happening for it, right? Like, it's happening somewhere. Somebody's having a good time, so yeah, yeah, somebody is. But
1: no, it's true, man. Yeah, I don't know. I,
0: I think it helps to get out there and just talk to people. And it's sad that there's so many, like, so many, so often people would just want to get so you know isolated from people, mm-hmm. and they're just like, I'm just gonna keep this to myself and let it just you know manifest and get so negative and everything until, I don't know, you might find yourself in a really bad position. It's true, yeah. And it seems like it would be better to find somebody that can help. Right. Some kind of therapist or something. Anything.
1: any Anything that gets you out of the current funk that you're in is, is super important. Yeah. And Is
0: is that usually something that you could, like, Google or something, like local, free or oh, low-cost yeah. um, therapy yeah. or something in my area? Yeah, I would like just,
1: t- if you're in Portland or, I mean, I already kind of gave those things, but you can, yeah, yeah. you can just type in Portland low to no cost therapy and I'm sure like Cascadian LifeWorks would come up right away. Yeah. They'd probably be the top, the top things or any, any city that anyone is in. If you t- just type those things in, I'm sure that something would come up. Yeah.
0: Cause I think stuff like that, just people don't think about the like, you know, oh, cause when people do think about therapists. It is like, oh, that's really that's gonna be an expensive ticket if I want to go talk to somebody mm-hmm. and help get things figured out. Like, yeah, I'm gonna have to drop like a thousand bucks for a few sessions, right? To, you know, but I don't think a lot of people consider like like you were saying, LifeWorks or anything like that. Yeah, some kind of low cost service that can help you at least get things straightened out. A little Absolutely, bit. yeah. And
1: it it doesn't have to be. I mean, I'm a therapist, so of course I'm selling therapy, but it it doesn't even have to be that. Like I'm saying, it's just positive human act- interactions are the important thing. I mean, if you're if you're struggling with substance use, try a twelve step program or try smart recovery or whatever it is. Like there, there's plenty of options out there. If you're religious and you're into that, like find a religious community that helps to support you or, or anything. If you're into books, like go on meetup and you know, anything that you are interested in. You can find a group of individuals that are meeting to talk about those things. It, it 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 doesn't have to be necessarily mental health related. As long as you're having positive relationships with people, your life will probably improve to some degree. Yeah. It, it's not gonna. It's not the panacea. It doesn't fix everything that's wrong in your life, but it helps a lot. Like people uh, undersell how important human relationships really are.
0: What would you say to somebody that's like, you know, I do have some kind catar- of substance abuse problem, but I feel like it'll be, I'll be ashamed of myself or I should be ashamed if I choose to go to an AA group of some kind.
1: Well, I, so there's people that really like 12 step programming and people that really hate it. And there's not a ton of people that I've experienced that go in between. Um, people yeah. usually either really like it or really don't. If somebody has that and they want to try it, I would encourage them to try. And if they go and they're like, I really hate this, this is terrible. If they, if they think it's just the group of people, I would encourage them to try another group because there's groups, especially AA, like that is everywhere. You can, I mean, in the Portland metro area, you get through a rock and hit a meeting somewhere. It's it, it, They're all over the place, um, which is great, right? It's a cool community support option. But some people, and I've talked to a lot of people they are just like, I hate 12-step programming. I cannot do it. It's It's not my thing. I don't like the God thing or whatever it is. I just don't like it. So, um, an alternative to that is smart recovery. Do you know anything about I don't think smart I recovery? Do you know. So it's based off of, um, cognitive behavioral therapy. I think, um, rational and motive behavioral therapy, if I remember correctly, but, um, basically they go over like the ABCs of, um, addiction. If I remember, uh, when they go in there. So it's, the format is completely different than a 12 step format. It's totally, totally alien. Um, very different than that. Um, and I guess I could, if you want me to, I could tell you what the ABCs are. But yeah, go for uh, it. So what they what they talk about is um, A stands for an activating event. So okay, uh, let me backtrack. You, you're thinking of okay, my addiction is causing me problems in my life, right? So they'll say, okay, think of the ABCs. Um, this will help you to understand what the problem is and how it's a problem in your life. So A stands for activating event. This is what happened to cause the situation to get bad, right? So mm-hmm. let's say I'm walking down the street and uh, I have a alcohol addiction and I'm looking in windows of buildings as I walk by and I see um, there's a football game on in a in a store. So I'm watching the football game kind of through the window and I realize, oh, it's a bar and I want to go in and I really want to have a drink right now. So that's the activating event. I see something that reminds me of going and drinking and I, I want to drink as a result of it. Okay. Um, B stands for the behavior, which is I go in and I start drinking, right? Um, C is the consequence, which is it could be anything. It's like, oh, I wound up getting shitfaced and I get into a fight with somebody in the bar because that's what I always do. Or I went home hammered drunk and um, I spent all of my work money on that, or I got into a fight with my girlfriend or I abused my kid or whatever it is, right? consequence. Um, so then D is dispute. So that's coming up with an alternative way that you could have responded in that situation that would have turned out differently. Right. Mm. So, um, instead of watching the game inside the bar, like I want to, I know that I have a sober friend that I could have called and said, Hey man, can I come over and watch the game with you? I f- really feel like drinking right now at the same time. I want to watch the game just want i to hang out with. Is that cool? So does that make sense? The way yeah. I'm explaining it? So that basically is what they go through in SMART Recovery. It's all this um, cognitive behavioral stuff. So for people that hate 12-step programming, that can be really, really beneficial for them okay. to do that. Yeah,
0: yeah. I've heard that like a AA system, like the AA meetings and all that can oftentimes be a little bit more even like a successful route then go into like one of those like recovery centers or something like that you oh, know like they have like a like, treatment treatment place yeah you see where they have those fancy commercials where it's yeah. like i don't know you're living in like some kind golden of spot. meadows yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah. frolic yeah. in the breeze yeah <laughs> yeah exactly but i've heard that sometimes you can actually find more success just trying to find a good group to go to and going through the steps and everything and walking through it with somebody that's Kind of been through it and is yeah. in the same
1: kind of struggle that you are and such. And that, that's what I would encourage people. Just, again, this goes back to the motivation piece, right? Mm-hmm. So if you're the type of person that you're like, you know what? I don't want to be in treatment. Yeah. I I, th- I have nothing to do with that. I don't want anything to do with that. I'm not at that point where I want to deal with that. Then, you know, you should probably not go into treatment at that point. It's not, it's not going to take if you don't want to be there, right? Yeah. Um, do what you feel capable of doing um and be again mindful that treatment generally does help people in whatever way but meet yourself at the level that you are willing to go to right so if you're like well i don't really want to do that but you know what i really think that i should get involved in a faith community or i really feel that um i should go to a 12-step program i should i should go to a meeting tonight and see what that's like i just want to experience that Like do whatever you feel that you are capable of pushing push yourself but do what you feel like you're capable of doing. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah.
0: Wow. Yeah. Um. So I guess continuing on, like with the <laughs> career, we're we're definitely this is gonna the have longest this, career discussion this, ever. I'm sorry. Yeah, <laughs> right. no, no, that's all good. We'll probably have to do another one at some point to talk about like substance and yeah, all stuff like that. But um, okay. So at this point, you've uh, we were talking about you were at the um, at the prison. Yeah. Yeah, did you want to speak more into that? And yes, in that experience. Well, I
1: don't, yeah, I don't, I don't know how much you want to know, but I. So I worked there for three years, um, in in the prison system in a dual diagnosis program. So we dealt with people that had both mental health issues and substance abuse issues. Um, like I said, it was super eye opening for me as an experience. Um, I got a really good feel and flavor for dealing uh, with that kind of population. And I kind of um, fell in love with it in the sense that I I realized that this is a population that I really kind of enjoyed and and liked working with. It could be super, super challenging, Mm -hmm. but really interesting at the same time. Um, And that that really sparked my curiosity. So then when I left there, I was unemployed for a short period of time and then got on um, in the jail system. And I worked in the jail system for – six years something like that wow so lots and lots of experience in corrections at this point yeah and how what
0: was your experience of that did you have you did you end up liking corrections more than uh
1: working in the prison yeah so yeah jail or, jail versus yeah. prison yeah um I like both of them they they both uh have positives and negatives um obviously the the populations are generally the same but a little bit different like most people don't know the difference between a jail and a prison or use that inner interspersed like do you, tell me what your understanding of a jail versus a prison is
0: so a jail from my understanding is kind of people that are usually awaiting trial to figure out right. what their kind of punishment if it'll be serious enough to yeah. warrant them needing to go to prison sure, for sure. a long amount of time or sometimes it's even people that are Serving, you know, like a weekend, like they come in, do their weekend in the jail, yep. and then they get to go home and what, and they keep doing that. Yep. Or, um, I know that, yeah, the jail, uh, population seems a lot more, you know, kind of diverse with people that are serious offenders versus minor offenders. It mm-hmm. could be like DUIs and such. Yeah. Whereas prison is where there's been a serious decision that's been made to where they're landing, and they could be there for, like you said, life. Possibly, Potentially, yeah. or it could be, you know, a handful of years. Yeah. No.
1: So yeah, you're actually really, you're, you're good on this. Um, mo- again, most people don't know, but you've, you've definitely got it down. So um, yeah, jail is, we call it pre-adjudication. So that's as you're going through kind of the criminal process, like you're, you're not done with court yet. Basically you're awaiting yeah. a decision as to what's going to happen. That's not universal. By the way, we get prison inmates that come into the jail. That's a whole different discussion. Um, and then prison is post adjudication. So that is, you are found guilty, you are sentenced to prison. Um, typically it's for people that are incarcerated, um, generally more than a year. Um, and jail is typically under, so you can be, you can be found guilty and then just remain in jail and never go to prison. But generally that's for people that are only in for less than a year. But there's definitely, um, some nuance to, to how that all plays out. But yeah, you're, you're totally right. Yeah.
0: So, I don't know, was there a different vibe overall in the prison versus the jail as far I feel like the prison, it would be a lot more kind of acceptance of like, well, this is, this is where I'm at. Like, this is the kind of situation I've been dealt yeah. with. Whereas it seems like with a jail, there's a lot more up in the air of like, am I going to go? Am I not going to go? Like, yeah, yeah,
1: yeah. No, that's true. So, yeah, you're right. The people in the prison, they're more established in the sense that they've, they've already gone through that pre-adjudication process. Some of them are at the tail end of really long cell. Like we had people that had been in for like 20 years in prison and wow. they were in our facility before they got out. So that's a much different discussion. Like we had people that had never used a cell phone before and yeah, we're like, yeah, I'm going to get out. I don't know what to do. Like what the hell is a <laughs> cell phone thing? Um, that's that's an interesting discussion to have with people.
0: I saw this video of this guy that was like out of McDonald's and he was like, so I just found out that this machine can give me like – Forty different variations of soda <laughs> yeah that blows me away too by the way <laughs> yeah right but i just thought it was so funny just because it would be very it'd be mind-blowing to come mm-hmm. out of prison after like 20 or 30 years
1: right oh yeah now. you're walking into a whole new world yeah yeah. the world has completely changed like your only exposure to that is talking to people or watching stuff on television that's totally different than experiencing yeah. it so
0: but the small things like a soda soda machine or yeah whatever would, that'd be pretty mind-blowing yeah you know? still
1: shocks me to this day yeah and I'm in society. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, so that's true. It's it's usually much more established that way. There is a lot more kind of systemic uh, gang activity. It depends on the facility that you're in in the prison system. Uh, it could be more established than others. If it's like a hardcore prison, uh, it's much more of a bigger deal. In our prison, it wasn't that bad. At least people were toned down because it was more of a release facility. A lot of people were leaving there. It was technically minimum custody. Um, In the jail, like you're saying, it's a much more diverse array of individuals. You have people that are hardcore gangbangers that are in on like huge, huge charges versus... um, a homeless guy that was caught for trespassing yesterday. I mean, it's just this, all this differing array. Um, People use substances in the prison, of course, but the, the prevalence of substance use when people come into the jail is way, way higher. So Mm -hmm. it's really common that the majority, again, going back to how substance use and criminality are tied in together. A lot of people that come into custody are intoxicated or inebriated to, to one degree or another when they come in under various substances. And so like differentiating um, what's substance use versus what's mental health issues, especially when people are just tweaked out of their minds on meth or whatever it is that they're using. That can be really, really interesting seeing people um, completely psychotic as a result of um, like heroin use or opioid withdrawals is totally fascinating. Um, People having seizures because they're withdrawing from like benzo and alcohol use, Oh, Um, all kinds of stuff like that is really, really common in the jail system. And then um, you deal again with the kind of return to life with prison, whereas in jail, depending on the clientele, you're dealing with, um, I don't know what the hell's happening with my case, number one. And I'm terrified that I'm going to go to prison for a long period of time. And what do I do with that information? It just seems
0: like it would be easier to be dealing with the people that have made it to the prison to where, yeah, there's been a lot more like certainty of like, well, yeah, this is what's established. And Mm -hmm. I just need to work from here. Whereas in the jail, it'd be working with people who have a lot of uncertainty going on. And so they just they aren't sure of like there. It just seems like their mind is somewhere else. Like they're in the midst of kind of a storm of their life. Yeah. You
1: know, like, uh, I don't know if I want to... It's it's the unknown that really eats people up. Yeah. So, uh, a couple of interesting, like... Something interesting that I noticed is that I talked to a bunch of people in a murder. A bunch, a bunch of... I know so many murderers, it's crazy. Good grief. But yeah, But, lot, yeah, lots of murders. And um, um, it's really interesting because they'll... Typically, they have a pretty good idea of what's going to happen. I, especially if it's, like, on video or what... I mean, that's pretty... Close down, right? The the question more is like, is it gonna be fifteen or is it gonna be eighteen to life or how long am I gonna be down for, right? And so um they know that they're gonna go to prison for a really, really long period of time. And some of them they know for sure that they're gonna get life or whatever, like super, super long. So what's interesting is to see, and this happened time after time after time with all these people that I talked to, almost all of them, it was almost universal, where they are in kind of panic mode for the longest time while, while this process of going to court is being worked out. And then the day that they sign. So they, they've they known what's going to happen for all this time. It could be upwards of like murder cases take forever. They're like two years oh, typically. Oh, yeah, I imagine. That people are in jail. So I've been dealing with this person for a super long time in this process. And then they get to it and they sign. And almost to a person, right after they sign, they're completely fine. They're like, yep, I, okay. I feel, I feel better now. Just that I know, because, and they know that they're going away for decades, more than likely, right? Mm-hmm. But it's just this process of there being some type of uncertainty, even though it is certain in a sense to them. Uh, it's just totally fascinating to see people's reaction to that because it's just so common that people react in the same way. I mean
0: not in the same regard but i'm in i'm in kind of a position right now where like i'm transitioning from one role to another at work Mm -hmm. and so i'm kind
1: of on this can you tell me what you do you have i don't know what you i know you've been kind of hesitant to talk about that on the thing but
0: yeah yeah so basically i i'll just say like i'm a sharpener for a knife company oh okay i think i know what you're talking about yeah yeah i won't say who but you know yeah yeah and so I'm in the transition to go to a marketing role and everything. And oh, that's And there's kind of this, yeah, there's this in between right now where like I'm up there, I'm I'm training and everything, but I'm also down here and everything. And it just mm. there's a lot of stress but with not being fully into that new role, you know? Yeah. And it just is like... Honestly, I was supposed to make that switch completely recently and they told me it was extended like a month and so I'm just oh, like, that sucks, yeah. and it just added like a lot of stress yeah. and just like, like I'm, I just want to know I'm established. Like I'm just like, I'm fully there. I can just <laughs> focus on
1: this. So Yep.
0: It doesn't compare quite the same. No, I, I understand what you're saying to, you though. Know, it's,
1: it's the same process. It's just, just to varying degrees, right? Yeah. Like you're never, you're not going to prison for the rest of your yeah, life. Thank I'm God. Not, but, yeah, thank goodness. But, but, but it, it's true that you're you're in this process of, man, I I, do, I really want this thing to happen or I know that this thing is going to happen and I just don't know when that's going to occur. And that that process is, like even that kind of, in the grand scheme of things, minor thing is still like anxiety provoking, right? Stressful, yeah. To yeah. just like
0: not be fully settled and knowing right. like, all right, I can accept that this is what it is now. Like right. this is the situation. Right. So, so expand uh, that
1: to what that might be like if you were knowing we that you were go gonna to... go to prison from killing someone yeah. for twenty years or thirty years or whatever. I mean it's it's pretty crazy. Have you ever had to deal with somebody that
0: was put on like death row? Like that was sentenced to death?
1: So in the the prison that I worked at we didn't have any death row people. Okay. Um I've talked to people that could potentially be sent to death row in the jail. Um, I mean, Oregon basically doesn't kill anyone anymore. So that's, even if you get sent to death row, you're not going to die. You'll die of old age there. You're not going to get executed. Um, But I I had, I had a double murderer there that for sure was going to go away for the rest of his life. Mm -hmm. um, Super young. Um, And so... It was a possibility that he would go. I mean, we had to have discussions about, you know, so there's a possibility that you might in the future, like, get the needle or whatever. What do you wow. what do you think about that? Like, yeah, uh, what's this process like for you? Oh, man. Um, and again, the, he knew, he even knew at the time, like, that's probably not at all going to happen. But just having that tiny possibility that it's oh, there is, geez. that's pretty gut-wrenching, right? That is. Yeah.
0: That'd be a tough subject to talk about with somebody like i couldn't fathom for one i couldn't fathom talking with a double murderer like i couldn't you know it sounds a reason it is yeah yeah it's it's interesting that you get to speak with these individuals on a you know on a regular basis Mm -hmm. and have to walk with them and talk with them through their kind of life and what's in the future and everything but yeah, I couldn't imagine talking to somebody that might potentially have to, yeah, get the needle or something. You know, yeah, like, that's heavy.
1: Yeah, it's totally nuts. I'll um do you want me to tell you an interesting murder story. Sure. I mean, they're they're all pretty interesting, but I had <laughs> I had a guy confess a murder to me. I've had this happen several times, but this is the the fun story. Confess a murder to me that he was never caught for. Oh my god! Right. So this is crazy how this happens. So. So they, you're
0: you're in the middle of your doing your job, like you just let, and yeah, you didn't know this. This just came out, like he just like. So
1: uh, I'll I'll explain it. Okay, so inmates communicate through this thing called a kite, um, uh, k y t e, and it's uh, basically just a form that they fill out saying like, hey, I want mental health help or whatever. They they could do it for medical stuff or whatever, but I I would get the the mental health ones, and so I get one this time, and it says. Um, I have, and I can't divulge any like yeah. client info or whatever because of confidentiality, but it, this is a fascinating story. So he writes on there, he writes on a kite, um, I'm dealing with PTSD or trauma issues or something from a murder, blah, blah, blah. So, and we have tons of murderers in the jail, so this is not terribly surprising at all. So I go to meet with this guy, right, and I sit down with him and we're chatting and I'm used to the discussion of, you know, you're going to be going away for a long time. How are we going to deal with this? Like, you know, what's your life going to look like in the future? So I start start talking with him about that and he's like, Oh, well, um, so, you know, I, how long do you know how long this is going to last? Are you going to be in here for like a couple of years or what's the, you know, where where are you at with the case right now? And he's like, Oh no, no, I'm going to be out in just a couple weeks. I'm like, well, you said on here that you're in a murder like you're probably going to be longer than that right and he's like oh no man that that's a parole violation i was never caught for the murder <laughs> oh my <laughs> like, god i'm like what excuse me He's like oh no no no. That that's what i'm saying like i killed this guy out there it was just like this drug deal that went really bad and i wound up killing this dude but i was never caught for it like it's it's totally cool like I, everything's fine and so i'm thinking like okay well These kites technically are – that's documentation. Like this guy literally signed this thing and said that there was a murder. It's basically like some kind of confession. Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, they sign it at the bottom and everything. I'm like, holy shit. Well, like what am I supposed to do with this, right? So I get done with this session and I go back to my office and I contact my boss immediately. I'm like, I have no idea what to do with this. But this guy – I mean, it's one thing if somebody tells you in session – Because you, you know, you don't, yeah, you don't have to go beyond that. But this guy literally wrote this on a sheet of paper that is a record, right? So I contact my boss. My boss has to contact county council, right? So it goes all the way to like the lawyers, the group of lawyers that run the, advise the county. And I I don't know how long it took, like weeks or whatever. I'm holding on to this thing in the meantime. And they finally come back and they're like, it didn't happen. Make it, make it go away. Really? <laughs> I don't know if I should say that here or not, oh, but yeah. yeah. So I went and I had to shred it and that was it. didn't go anywhere. So this guy is totally out there. Um, had,
0: and I, I,
1: he could have been lying about it. I don't think he was. I think he was totally honest about that because he's not the only person that's told me about murders that they've gotten away with. I mean, that's happened. Several Have you ever times, seen but... it
0: where, like, somebody confesses to that and then it does end up like, oh, okay, we need to investigate that? Like,
1: and no. Where it's, oh, okay. No, no, no. Because um, – so the way that it works is we're held under, like, confidentiality yeah. law. And I would tell the clients, like, listen, I'm not going to go out of my way to talk to anybody, right? Like, if you're threatening someone, that's a different story. If you tell me you're going to murder me or kill one of the guards out there or whatever, I got to – like, I can't let you hurt somebody, yeah. right? But if you say this is a crime that I've committed in the past, we could talk about that in relation to your mental health and everything. And it's not going to go beyond our conversation as far as I'm concerned. If you want to go and tell somebody, hey, I told Jason that I murdered someone or did whatever, that's up to you, man. I I wouldn't encourage you to do that, but it's totally up to you. And then um, if we're subpoenaed or whatever, there's a process that they go through to – it never occurred to me at all I, I never once have had to testify uh while i worked in the jail yeah as a result of that which was super cool so um thank it goodness was, that'd be stressful yeah yeah it, <laughs> it was nice to have have that exposure in that way so that um i wasn't jeopardized at all but i mean those that's those are this is what i'm saying like these are these fascinating conversations that no one in the world gets to have except for me in a position yeah. like that i mean it's just that is fascinating to say it and how many people have talked to someone that someone is confessing a murder to them, or what it's like to kill? Some- I mean, that is that's totally fascinating. And I, I hope oh, yeah. I don't sound like no, no, no,
0: it is interesting. Like I like, don't
1: care about the victims or whatever. I do. It's it's really interesting. And it what's fascinating is to see the impact that these events have had on the perpetrators. We we typically see the impact that it's had on the victims, and we should because that's a obviously. I mean, they're the victim of a god awful crime. But it's also really interesting to see the impact that it has. And the people that have engaged in that behavior as well, that's, that's part of the story that's, um, very rarely told. And I was exposed to that directly. It's really, really interesting to see.
0: Yeah, no, that is, that is really interesting. Like, uh, I I like listening to like true crime podcasts and Mm -hmm. everything like that. And, um, I don't know, certain stuff like that. Like, it would be interesting to listen to somebody like have to admit
1: like that they did that, why they did that, like. Well, this is all voluntary, though. I'm not forcing them to say anything. Yeah, like it yeah. would be,
0: it'd be interesting to like for them to just say that, to just like get that out like that. Mm-hmm. Whereas they could have just lived with it and just been
1: like, "I'm never going to tell anyone about this." Yeah, yeah. People like to tell their story, though. Yeah. I mean, it's it's fascinating. I've had people like in cartels before, and I mean, cartels like a big deal. Like, you do not rat on the cartel but tell me about like certain things that they've been exposed to in there um that they would never because they know that like their family would get like tortured and murdered horribly
0: cartels a very intimidating deal oh yeah uh, i don't
1: know it's a big deal i mean yeah so stuff like that is just just totally fascinating to be exposed to it's really really interesting huh yeah
0: um unfortunately i think we're getting up on like where we got to kind of wrap it up okay yeah no problem man. but i definitely like i have a lot more questions so <laughs> if you're open to it i would like to like do another one where we talk absolutely. more and just keep on diving into it yeah absolutely because yeah, I, totally I think know. that yeah you have a lot of interesting stories and you can consider like what you want to share and like what you can't sure oh yeah, yeah yeah but, yeah um but yeah any other stories i'm sure is it's interesting to think that that can occur where somebody writes down yeah, you know, I murdered this guy on this <laughs> deal that had gone bad and everything. And just like, it's all good. I can tell you about that. <laughs> you know? Like, I don't know.
1: That's crazy. He was more think. than happy to chat about it, too. Yeah. That's
0: insane. That's just why wild <laughs> thing. But you're in a position that a lot of people will never really experience yeah. unless they go out of their way, go through a lot of schooling, and take a lot of steps to get in that one specific yeah. area. It's pretty unique, yeah. It is Yeah, it's very unique. You deal with a lot of interesting <laughs> Clientele. <laughs> I do, certainly. But yes. um but yeah, I appreciate you taking the time to come talk and Absolutely. I'd like to talk again soon.
1: Yeah, I'm I'm here, man. Just let me know. Appreciate it, Jason. All right, thank you.
0: episode of the show. I hope you guys liked it. Uh, tell your friends and family about the show and that it can be found on the Apple Podcast app, Stitcher, Spotify, SoundCloud, and Google Play, as well as now tune it. You can follow the show on Facebook and Instagram at NoParticularPodcast. There you'll see when I upload episodes and what they'll be about. Feel free to share your thoughts and ideas with me at at gmail.com. Thank you for listening. I appreciate your listenership. Check back next week for another episode of the show.